Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Good morning, it's three minutes past ten and welcome to Summer Days. A busy little morning on another cracking day weather-wise where I am and I can confirm, as I said with the lads, feeling a lot better after realising that the booster jab was just having its say. But 24 hours later, good to go. Coming up, Stephen Bock comments on the first cricket test at the Bay Oval and the resistance of Bangladesh. Tracy Bevan is an ambassador and director of the McGrath Foundation. She's going to talk to us about the pink test tomorrow at the SCG and how they go about raising millions for women who have breast cancer in Australia, which is said to be, get this, 55 a day diagnosed. At 11 this morning, Silver Ferns coach Dame Nolene Taurua, ahead of the team jetting off to England for the Quad Series. Nick Brown, who's the face of Lucas Oil Western Spring Speedway, is going to tell us about the whole program tonight featuring the Midget 50 Lapper and what you can look forward to. Nick Holt, not the actor, but the chief cricket correspondent for the Telegraph in England, will join us after midday to try and figure out if England can put up a fight in the pink test starting tomorrow at the SCG and the remainder of the Lost Ashes Series. While at 12.30, Winter Olympic Debutant Margot Hacker talks to us about realising a long-held dream to represent New Zealand. At one o'clock, Speedway rock star Michael Pickens, a favourite for the midget 50 lapper tonight. All that and a whole lot more coming your way between now and two here on SENZ, SENZ Summer Days. But now it's time to talk cricket. And we move to the Bay Oval. And what was going on with Bangladesh? 401 for 6. Momental 88. Listen, 86. Bolt 3 for 61. They lead New Zealand by 73 runs after their first innings of 328. Stephen Bock joins us right now, former New Zealand international. Good morning, Stephen. Uh, sorry, Stephen McIver. This is John Day, your producer, stepping in. Uh, Stephen Bock is on the road at the moment and not picking up his phone. Ah. Which is a great start to summer days with Stephen McIver. It's why you uh, kind of stuttered a little bit there because I was trying to get in your ear saying Stephen Bock's not there yet. But what we do have is Trent Bolt post day three. Yeah, okay. Let's have a listen to that. What was that day like out there? It seemed particularly gruelling uh, under the Mount Sun and Bangladesh played particularly well. Yeah, they played uh, really, really well. I thought they were, um, you know, very decisive, and obviously made us come back and bowl spell after spell. And uh, yeah, it's just basically Test cricket. I think the wickets obviously a pretty good one, but uh, yeah, the way we we hung in there, I suppose didn't let the game advance too much. But uh, to get a couple of wickets at the end, it was pretty nice. So uh, another big day tomorrow. What are the fatigue levels like? 
uh, personally. Uh, yeah, they're up there, but um, yeah, really enjoying being back out there. Obviously, a local lad and been a pretty good crowd, a good environment, and um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, you know push forward in this game. And uh, it looks like it might go down to the wire. So he's uh, hoping. Is there a place there for a specialist spinner in the side? This time, do you think that perhaps uh, AJS Patel should have played? Ah, hindsight's a beautiful thing. Um, probably didn't expect it to be such a good wicket, but I thought the way that Rachi has come in and, and bowled there, obviously bowled a few overs, but um, yeah, it's just about being smart on, on operating uh, as quick bowlers and uh, I suppose figuring out what's probably the most potent recipe. But like I touched on earlier, I think there's a lot of credit due to the uh, to the Bangladeshis and how they, they really made us keep coming back and, and trying to force wickets. Um, and they played very nicely. So I think the game's, you know, pretty well poised. Thanks, Trent. Being a local uh, and also playing in the two previous tests at this venue, how, how different is that wicket compared to, say, Pakistan a bit over a year ago? And Yeah, I think um, well, I saw the highlights there at lunchtime. They came on and once again, I think all the wicket, all the test matches that have been played here have, you know, pushed late into day five. And uh, if anything, it's about uh, the wicket getting worse, a little bit of deterioration, uh, a little bit of up and down stuff. There hasn't been too much signs of that as yet. But, um, you know, Jared, the heat ground's been here. Uh, probably didn't expect three belting days of 30 plus degrees. Uh, it's been some some lovely weather. And, um, yeah, if anything, that, that should encourage a bit of up and down stuff. So, we're bowling last, but that's a long way away. So we'll see what happens inside the first kind of hour, first session tomorrow, and then go from there. Yeah, as you say, you could possibly expect that on day five, which could mean that all three results are still a possibility. Yeah, hundred percent. But I think it's about doing the right things in the morning. Um, I'm presuming Bangladesh want to bat once and bat big, uh, and look to put a lot of pressure on us later in the uh, over the last couple of days. But uh, you know, if we can start well take four nice wickets um, and then go out there positively with the bat, then, yeah, I, I would agree that all three uh, wickets, uh, all three uh, results are, are on the card. Didn't hear the question, but uh, played a lot against Bangladesh. Yes, 100%, um, both home and away. And, uh, yeah, I think the way they've come here, um, you know, reflecting on the last couple of test matches, they've uh, batted extremely well. It's a, a hard place to come and bowl, I suppose. But, um yeah, hey, they're an improving nation, and uh, we haven't, well, we definitely haven't taken them lightly coming into this series. And um, yeah, it's exciting to to see the game so evenly poised, and uh, it's going to be a big test for both sides. It is going to be a big test for both sides. It's also a big test for Stephen Barker. I can confirm we're not going to be able to talk to Stephen. He's had a wee fall, and he's at A and E. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Stephen, I hope you're going to be okay. Let's talk about this. Uh Shall we, John, just just briefly of what's going on? This is yeah. the f- this is the first time Bangladesh has outscored a team in the first innings. Yeah, overseas. Bangladesh, and this is the thirty third time New Zealand have, have played them, and this is the, the, they've they've suddenly come to play. Yeah, outside of Asia, they've never outscored the opposition in a first innings before in a Test match, which is quite incredible, given that they don't have their best player in Shakib Al Hassan with them, and we all thought they were going to come over here and just roll over. 
Yeah, I, uh, yeah, not 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 being the cricket ex, cricketing expert, I, what, you do sort of raise your eyebrows as to the inability of the attack to 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 skittle them, get them out, don't you? Just a little bit. I mean, yep. again, we come back to the we, we said on day, or was it yesterday, which was day two? Yeah, day no day, day three yesterday. Yeah, yep. the, 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 the the bit of turn because they got five wickets through spin. Mm. Ravindra has had got no wickets, got not being able to pull anything out of which the wicket. Which would have been great to talk to Stephen Bock about given that's his area of expertise, left-arm orthodox spin. Um, and I thought that was always the danger coming into this test with Rachan Ravindra being your sole spinner. And talking before the summer, uh, the Bay Oval was going to be the wicket. If you were going to play a spinner, that's where you were going to play it. Yes, so. You see, that's what I can't understand, right? So we were talking to Gavin Larson, weren't we, on Monday. Was it yesterday? No. No, not this week, but, uh, but we, it was last week. We talked uh, to Gavin Larson on Friday When they it. picked the squad. Yeah, we talked to him on, on Friday about it. I just couldn't understand. There was a suggestion that it would dry up pretty quickly. And then from from my limited knowledge, if a wicket is going to dry up, then does it not turn to spin? It grips. It grips. It doesn't skid along. If it's got moisture in it, it can skid. But it can grip the surface and it can explode the surface as well if it gets dry. Uh, and it can um, create little divots and then just little bits of uneven bounce as well with your spin. So, yeah. And for AJS Patel to be the hot hand at the moment and to take 10 wickets, and then we've taken in Ruchin Ravindra, who's unproven as a spinner. He's a batting all-rounder. He's said himself he wants to be uh, a genuine all-rounder, but admits he's not one yet. So we've got a batsman who can bowl spin, uh, who's had 26 overs, none for 64. Uh, which what? says to me that he's he shouldn't be your frontline spinner, and we were just well, certain. Like, but, well, but, but we know he's. But one would suspect to jump in there. He's not your frontline spinner. He's your all rounder, right? Yeah. You know who your frontline spinner is. So they just weren't willing to take the risk. Yeah. Which which still begs the question: If they knew it was going to turn, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, they obviously thought it was going to do more for the pace bowlers. And Tim Southey, for me, is a guy who's kind of just bowling along the wicket and not into the wicket. I thought Kyle Jamieson, because he is a bowler who's taller and bowls into the wicket, would get something out of it. But even Kyle Jamieson, who's, what, got a test average of 17 or something ridiculous, like one of the best strike rates since Shane Bond, and it's just taken the world by storm, has been in the test team of the year for the world in the last two years, uh, hasn't got a wicket either from 30 overs. It seems to me that it's not doing a lot, obviously, but also that maybe, have we got plans? Have we got the plans right for the Bangladesh batsman? And is Tom Latham a guy we need to look out here? Uh, first time he's captaining the side yeah. in a home summer. Has he got his field placements right? Is he using his bowlers right? Oh, wow, you're throwing it all out there. You're just going to throw, you're throwing bait out there like anything. I mean, sure, these guys these guys know how to play cricket, Johnny. I mean, let's, Absolutely. let's, be, let's be blunt. But, but Tom doesn't captain this team every day of the week. No, but you you're not. Yeah, but these guys have been around the the, the blocks for a long, long time. They yeah. they know how to set a field, right? And I'm 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 certainly not one of those people that suggest just because you're captain you can't set a field. I mean, I'm sure most guys would have a fair idea how to set a field. I yeah. think I think if you if you looked at it purely from a a non cricketing perspective, you're going, wow, okay, so. We mentioned yesterday, we probably will see how good this New Zealand side is now, today, and if they can skittle, get get, get the rest yep, of the Bangladeshi batsmen out and see if they can drag in, drag in that total of, the, what is it, 73 they lead by Bangladesh? Can they yep. try and limit them? But if they're not getting any work, any help from the wicket, then 
you could be looking at a drawn test, potentially so, drawn test. Yeah? Absolutely. That's what we're looking at at the moment, I'd say, against Bangladesh, which is a great result for, for them and probably be one of the best results they've ever had <laughs> in test cricket. So, yeah, we're kind of at, like, are we blaming our, our side well, for not on. being are, good but, enough but, or are we giving credit to Bangladesh? We here? have to give credit to Bangladesh. Yeah, it's as simple as absolutely. that. I don't, I don't think we should play the tall poppy that the, the Black Caps haven't done. The, well, they have, we know they haven't done the job that they that they would expect to do. Yep. But all praise to Bangladesh for coming and going, right, okay, we, we've we've dug in and we can dig in. Now, how far that goes is the question. Yeah. But the, the numbers that they've posted are pretty handy numbers from some of those batsmen. Yeah. And we know now that they've got a spin at the spinners. So if I was New Zealand, I'd be a little bit nervous getting them getting them out, potentially try and get them done today or early today and then face some spin because that will be the t- that will be the telling factor. Yeah. If they if Bangladesh come in and start taking wickets with spin, questions will be asked about Ajaz Patel. The selections as well. And I think questions can be asked about our first innings and the way that we lost our last six wickets for 70 runs on what is clearly a docile pitch. So while we're talking about bowlers like Jamison and Southie not getting any wickets and Ravindra, well, what about the middle to lower order not getting any runs as well? So we are the World Test champions, Stephen. We treat these black caps like they're the All Blacks now. We expect the best well, you might. all the time. <laughs> uh, and we're not getting the best, yeah, but, but we're also yeah, getting an opposition but, that's standing up to them. But, but no team is perfect, John. I mean, this is – and again, I come back to the, the ideal that this will be a good test for the team. You don't want to lose the test. For goodness no. sake, because they, they'll drop their unbeaten run to what was it, seventeen or eighteen unbeaten at home. So the drawn testers would be okay for me for the for the record. Yep. But we'll see how much this team has evolved if they can knock off this this rest of this the tail and then see what they can put in place. Yeah, so you've got to hope the first session the Black Caps dismiss Bangladesh, don't you? And that lead doesn't get too far over a hundred. And then bat the rest of the day, a couple of sessions, knock off that lead, lead by 100 going into the last day, and anything can happen, Stephen. So. Yeah, no, completely. Um, some other cricketing news, which is of slight concern. Uh, Black Cap Martin Guptill may be in doubt for the one-day series against Australia after being injured in Auckland's Ford Trophy game against in, uh, against Wellington at the Basin yesterday. He limped off the field, got hit on the lower leg by Yorker while batting. Auckland Cricket said he's suspected, he, he, has, he has calf issues, I suspected left calf strain will have an MRI today. They play three ODIs and the T20 International starting on January 30 in Australia. And he'll be key to that because as we learnt yesterday as well, the test team probably won't be available for that trip because they need because they can't do the um they can't go into quarantine on the way back or else they'll miss uh, preparations for the South African series, which is the big series this summer. So a guy like Martin Guptill will be huge for that side uh, over in Australia. But he's a tough bugger. This is a guy who played through a whole T20 World Cup and a T20 series against India with a broken toe and didn't tell anyone. So if anyone can tough it out, it's Martin Guptill, oh, but a dodgy calf. Yeah, but a dodgy toe. Can you imagine doing that, a broken toe playing cricket? And thinking, I know. You, you know. Get the odd York on your toe or something like that. Oh, and, what, and he's what? got less toes than a normal person anyway from a forklift uh, incident Excuse when me? he was a kid. Yeah, Excuse me? You don't know that about Martin no. Guptill? Uh, he got run over by a forklifter's foot when he was a kid oh. and lost a couple of toes. Oh, I'm, I'm, so oh, I'm going to be sick, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, he's gone through it all, Martin Guptill. So I'm confident he'll come through this, but calves can be niggly, Stephen. Oh, trust me, I've got a dodgy one. 
this this well-honed athlete that I am, yeah. my right calf, every time I try and go for a run, within about 10 minutes, the old right calf pops up and I stretch and do all the right things. Although they say they say you can't stretch cold muscles. Yes, yes they do. It's like, uh, what did Buck Shelford used to say in his ad? It's like chewing gum when it goes cold. Yeah. It just breaks. Oh, there you go. So that's that's probably my issue. But uh, that'll be interesting. Oh, I, you know what I do find a shame is that Guppy, as his wife calls him, uh, isn't playing test cricket anymore. They don't see him as a test player. Yeah. Yeah, he just couldn't open uh, in test cricket with the ball moving around. He just nicked it all the time. And then they tried him as a number five, and that didn't quite work out either. And then the emergence of Henry Nichols kind of just shut the door on Martin Guptill, which was a shame because he is a world-class opening batsman in one-day cricket. You struggle to find a better one well, he's going one, around the planet. Didn't we look at the numbers the other day? And he is one of the leading run scorers in T20 and one day cricket, you yeah. know, historically. He's, I think he is the leading run scorer in T20 international cricket. Yeah. Like, Ridiculous incredible. Numbers. And you'd like, well, just because it's a different colour ball, surely you can do the job in Test cricket as well. But. That's cricket for you, Stephen. It throws up strange things like that to you. you Cricketers are all a bit strange anyway, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's true. And I hope Stephen Bok's okay, by the way. Yeah, so he just had a a little wee fall, did he? Yeah. Did he tell you that? He said he was good to go at 10 o'clock this morning when I contacted him last night, and he said he may be on the road and has to pull over, but then when we just called him before, didn't answer for ages, and then said, I'm an A&E. So not a nice place to be at this time of year, that's for sure. So thoughts to him. Yeah, our thoughts to him. Okay, it's 10.18. This is SNZ Summer Days with Stephen McIver. Hey, here's a thought for you. Uh, what do you think the outcome of the test at the Bay Oval will be? Why don't you call me? 0800 150811. That's 0800 Do you think that the Black Caps can sort Bangladesh out and still win with two days left to play? It's not an impossible task. John's just shaking his head going, hmm, 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 hmm. 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. on Summer Days on SENZ with Stephen McIver, the 4th day of January, and we are officially a month away from the start of the Beijing Winter Olympics. Didn't realise too, no no spectators at the Winter Olympics, and we're going to be talking to Margot Hackett, daughter of AJ Hackett, that's right, the Bungie King, the man who created Bungie. Remember he he, uh, jumped off the Eiffel Tower? and then got picked up by the police. So that is uh, something to look forward to a little later on, about about 12.30. Got some texts in here on double eight double three. I would rather you call me, though, but I'll read a couple of these texts out, three of them, actually. 0800 150811 is the number. That's 0800 150811. The question I posed was, do you think that the Black Caps can still win this test at the Bay Oval with two days to play? And they still haven't got Bangladesh out in their first innings. 
Billy says, badly missing BJ Watling, the sort of game he'd have gone big. Revenger is still not a proven batter, let alone a spin bowler. And then Jamie goes, well, a win is still possible for the BCs. I love that. Who was the one that said the BCs? It was given last night. It was given last night. The BCs. Who are these BCs? Oh, the BCs, the backup. But they must dismiss Bangladesh in the first session for that to happen, says Jamie. Thanks for the text, buddy. Uh, and Richie's just thrown uh, an interesting th- little question up because John was talking about the South African test. He goes, what about the likelihood that South Africa may pull out of their two-test tour here due to the MIQ requirements? Ah, uh, I don't think so. They will have known all about that straight up and down. I don't think there'll be any issue there, John. Yeah, I think the government's been quite nice to cricket teams. I mean, they've got the Netherlands. They've got spots for the Netherlands in MIQ. Uh, you know, so if you're bending over backwards for the Netherlands when it comes to cricket, I'm sure the pro tiers will be well looked after yes, and be uh, able to train after uh, seven days. I'll be blunt with you. I do have an issue with allowing uh, sports teams uh, over good old Kiwis trying to get back a little bit on this one. That uh, does get up my nose. Yeah, sorry, especially but- when they say the economic reason is why they let them in and it's the Netherlands cricket team? Well, let's be blunt. Uh, I would really love to ask the question, how much money is brought in by test when you look at the crowds? I would say stuff Yeah, all. it's not really the crowds, but I think it's more the TV rights you sell overseas oh, because no, people but, would love to watch but, test cricket overseas. No, no, no. But any the, test the fact, cricket. Yeah, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but the mm. fact that that's already done. That, those those, those right. rights are already right. in place. So the mm. money's in the bank. So I find that it's sort of a... A bit of a tongue-in-cheek to say, oh, yes, well, let's give the Netherlands or whatever MIQ spots when there are Kiwis trying to get home. It's as simple as that, right? Because yeah. the cash is in the bag, baby, before these things, even before the first ball is bowled. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And so you raise a good question there. So does Francis Payne, who's a statistician yeah, right. for cricket. And he's just put, I think we're seeing how vital Colin de Gronholm was to New Zealand's World Test Championship campaign. He can bowl anywhere in the order. He's economical and took vital wickets. He gave New Zealand so many options e.g. the spinner's role in an all-pace attack or still allowing Wagner to bowl second change if the spinner is selected. And he scored 1,200 runs at 35 on average. So Colin de Gronholm, no longer part of the test team. Are we missing Colin? Are we missing BJ Watling? Are we missing all these people? You're asking the wrong person here. You know you're asking the wrong person. The thing is, I I sense this nervousness around the crickets cricketing community that the Black Caps can't do the job on Bangladesh. Do you think they can do the job? They've got two days to win a test. The the lead is not that great. I mean, the suggestion was, what are they, 73 in front and they're six down? I mean, you could just dig in and be there. I mean, one of the batsmen... Took, faced 200 balls for about 18, 18 was it 100 for 18 runs. I mean, yeah. that's now that's patience, but also not a bad effort. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I was critical of him yesterday with a strike rate of 17, but in test cricket, you can pick up that strike rate so quickly, and he did. Mominal Hark, who was a great captain's knock, ended up on 88 off 244 balls, and he doubled his strike rate to 36, which is... You know, you can, you can take that in test cricket. And the other part to think now is that there will be a little voice in the back of the Black Caps head going, well, hang on, boys, you know, can you do this? Can you get this out? And so there'll be, there, there might be a little bit of indecision going on. Well, indecision is the wrong word, but, yeah, the well, faith, doubting themselves. There might yeah. be a little self-doubt going on They've now. They've put us under pressure. They've put the World Test Champions under pressure in their home conditions. Who thought they would say that after three days against Bangladesh? I, I love how yeah. it's, I love how you've wind yourself up, John. I do. You wind yourself I up do. over a test. And, um, and this is no disrespect to Bangladesh, but it's not Australia. It's not South Africa. It's not England. No. And, and everybody's going, oh, hang on a minute. Hang on. We, we might not be able to beat Bangladesh. Well, we've had such a golden run, Stephen. We are the best team on the planet. And so when Bangladesh... And, and, 
Cash comes down here. We roll them. Are we the best team on the planet after one game, one match? Yes. Yes, Stephen, we are. All right, it's half past ten on SENZ Summer Days. on SENZ summer days, and they are very hot summer days around the North Island at the moment with temperatures like 33 degrees reported yesterday in Kawaro. Uh, they're suggesting Tomodanui today could go to 33 as well. So, look, take it easy out there. We had a friend we know uh, had sunstrike, uh, wasn't fl- flashed today. I know people are getting a little bit. So just, look, don't go out there and think you can get that magnificent tan and uh, not get hit. Just take it really easy. The sun in the southern hemisphere is all too strong. Slip, slop, slap, have a little bit, five minutes, and then get out of it because it is knocking people for a six. Now, for 14 years... The test match played the SCG every summer has been affectionately known as the Pink Test. And day three is the Jane McGrath Day in honour of McGrath Foundation founder Jane McGrath. Now, the Pink Test recognises the work of the McGrath Foundation to fund McGrath breast care nurses to support individuals and families experiencing breast cancer. This year, the McGrath Foundation is calling on the support of Australians everywhere, and actually people here in New Zealand as well, I'll tell you why in a minute, to help them make it the pinkest ashes and raise funds to support the McGrath Breast Care Nurse Programme. Well, McGrath Foundation Director and Ambassador Tracy Bevan, who helped set up the McGrath Foundation and was a great friend of Jay McGrath, joins us right now from Australia. Uh, Happy New Year to you, Tracy. Happy New Year. Well, look, this this pink test seems to resonate with people all across Australia and around the world. I mean, it's 14 years. I mean, does it surprise you it's still as popular as ever? You know what? It does. Every single year it seems to get bigger and better and uh, I just absolutely love it. I always say this is like my Christmas. The Christmas tree's down and then it's the pink test for me. <laughs> talk to me about Jane Jane before we, we talk more about the pink test. What, what was she like as an individual? Oh, she was so lovely. Obviously, she was my best friend and we met through because I was married to Michael Bevan. Obviously, met Glenn. And both being English, we just became really good friends. And, um, yeah, just a really kind, caring person, which shows because, you know, most people, well, hopefully, a lot of people want to help people. But Jane did more than that. She started a charity to do that because she's, you know, been diagnosed breast cancer and wanted to support families walking in her shoes. Does it, does it still sort of, you still get a sort of a, a hollow pit in your stomach when you think of her? Do you know what? When I take myself back down to, you know, certain times and like Mother's Day or a birthday, I do. But when I, I'm at the pink test right now, um, you know, the day before the test starts, but I'm here right now looking around, knowing that people will be here in pink and they turn the ladies' stand to Jane McGrath stand. And I, I can't help but smile because a lot's been achieved since she's been gone. I know she'd be really proud. Again, Glenn can't be there this year. No, that's right. No, he can't be. He's been uh, got a positive COVID test, so he's really frustrated because obviously for the McGrath family it's a, it's a huge time of year. But Sarah's wife has got him uh, wallpaper in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he could get. He'd love to be here. <laughs> how, how important is this pink test for people and their families who are dealing with breast cancer? It's huge. We we hear every single day the difference our breast care nurses make to families' lives because it's not just the patient who gets the support, it's the whole family because a breast cancer diagnosis hits the whole family. So we, we know the difference that our nurse makes, you know, um, and we want that for every Australian family who's going through breast cancer. 
So the pink test is incredibly important to us because it's a platform to talk about our, our brilliant uh, breast care nurses and the work they do, but it's obviously about fundraising and making sure that we can one day make sure everyone has the free support from a McGrath breast care nurse. Well, what does a breast care nurse do? So she, she, she's there for psychological support. She's there for you know, physical support. She's there right throughout treatment, from being diagnosed right throughout treatment. But, you know, Jane explained it to me. Like she said, Tracy's you, and I didn't know what she meant. She said, she's a friend that you can't be. You can't answer the questions that I need answering, and she can. And I can be, you know, I can be Jane McGraw when I walk out of treatment and leave all my worries back at the hospital. And I know when she, I, she's there for me every step of the way, and I can call her whenever I need her. So that's what she is, basically, just a, a person who's there throughout the whole treatment for the, the family and the patient. And so, and so that takes the pressure off the individual who has breast cancer, and so they don't take it home, if you know what I mean, so the family is in, exactly. a, in, in a better place. Exactly. And not only that, you know, I know from Glenn, but I also know from people that I've met doing my job travelling around Australia. I've had one guy come up to me and say, can I give you a hug? And I said, sure. And he said, I just want to say thank you to you and your team because... The difference that you've made, you said, knowing that my, my wife has got a breast care nurse just made me feel so much better because I know she can, she's got someone there to do the things that I can't do. And he said, it's for the first time since diagnosis of my lovely wife, my shoulders have dropped and I feel a little bit more comfortable. Wow. I mean, it must have been tough, though, for breast care nurses in this pandemic. Oh, it's been really tough. It, it really has. You know, imagine what we're all going through with the a pandemic but then being diagnosed with breast cancer so and and the fear of that so our breast care nurses did a lot more telehealth in the first year the first 12 months um but yeah it's it's really tough for them but we make sure that they also get the support our nurses are supported um but you know they love what they do and they know how it, how important their role is and they want to make sure that during these even tougher times that we're going through, that they're there to support those families that need them. Do you know if conditions are getting better where the breast cancer can be in person? Oh, yeah, they are in person, but, you know, they're still um, following all the COVID restrictions yeah. and that, that's all we can do at the moment. Tracy, I... I was looking online and a friend of mine used to live in Australia, but he said to me, and I was just reading, he, he bought two pink virtual seats. Now, mm. talk to me about these pink virtual seats you can buy online. Yeah, so last year was our, um, the first time that obviously we couldn't have any volunteers at the ground. Um, so our expectations were quite, well, let's just see what happens. And we tried the virtual pink seat and it was an absolute phenomenon and raised over $3.1 million, which is fantastic. But this year we thought, right, let's, let's challenge anyone. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in New Zealand, beautiful country. I love New Zealand. But you can support, you know, families and you can get your seat, a pink seat at the pink test, uh, just by going to pinktest.com.au and knowing that, you know, it's a bit of funny. Share it with your, on your socials, with, with hope. But it's, it's more about showing that you care and that you are there to support families who are going through a tough time. Because, you know, breast cancer is the number one um, a cancer. And like I said, 55 people every single day in Australia are diagnosed with breast cancer. So what a great way to support. Does that shock you when you say that number? Because I, I mentioned that number uh, earlier on in this hour, and I went, that's a 55 a day. Am I right? Is it 55 a day? Yeah. Every single day. Every yeah, single it's, it's day. Terrible. That's shocking. 
Yep, every single day. So for me, it, you know, we know the foundations, you, you know somebody. Everyone seems to know somebody who's had a breast cancer experience. And if you don't, you're very lucky. But what we say is, but if you do, the McGrath Foundation is there for you and our wonderful breast care nurses will make that tough time a little bit easier with the COVID, with COVID and Omicron sort of running rampant right now in New South Wales is is it are you more likely to want people to buy uh, virtual seats because of maybe numbers might be down at the test yeah well that's what we're saying is no matter where you live you know I've got my family in the UK who are buying all the pink seats the only thing about those is they're a bit dodgy because they put in the English it flags on their seats <laughs> <laughs> when I'm telling them they're supposed to be doing the Aussie seats but no they're not um, yes, yeah, so it doesn't matter where you live in the world, you know, you can buy your seats and have a bit of fun with the pink seat. You know, we've got stickers on it, you can put whatever stickers you want to put, share it through your social media and help us make the pinkest ashes, but ultimately help us support Australian families experiencing breast cancer. This may sound a little bit of an odd question, but how many women do you think have been saved Oh, I mean, I'm not too sure about that figure, to tell you the truth. Yeah. But what we do know is this one statistic that we do do like, if you can like a statistic, yeah. is if you are diagnosed with breast cancer in the early stages, and that's why we say if you grow them, know them, which means make sure you're checking your breasts. Um, we know that survival, if you, if you are um, diagnosed in the first stages of breast cancer, is over 90%. So... Wow. You know, it's all about taking care of yourself and checking your breasts and making sure if you see any changes, regardless of where you live in the world, you go straight to your GP. Yeah, and that applies to anyone because it's that early detection. So uh, if, if people want to know more about this, where do, where do they go to find uh, information? I go to uh, pinktest.com.au. All right, so uh, are, you, are you confident that the Australians will uh, beat your, home, your original home country <laughs> pretty comfortably again in this test? Well, if I was Glenn McGrath, said the old McGrath line of 5 nil. <laughs> but yeah. Tracy Bevan, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on the work that you continue to do, but I, I find it staggering that it's been 14 years. I don't know where they've gone, but the work you are doing in making people's lives more bearable uh, is amazing. So thank you for your time. Thank you, and thank you. I, I love your country, and hopefully I'll get over there again one day soon. No, you will. Don't worry about that. Thank you, Tracy. Tracy Bevan, Ambassador and Director of the Glenn McGrath Foundation at 10.42. Yeah, a mate of mine, I, I saw it yesterday. I, I knew I was going to be talking to Tracy, and I, he used to live in Australia, and he popped up, and he had bought two, two virtual pink seats uh, in New Zealand to help out. So I thought that was a, a pretty cool thing to do. So you can uh, do all that and uh, go to pinktest.com.au. Share it on your socials. Uh, a little bit of feel good, but and I'm sure I don't know what the numbers here are in New Zealand, but again, uh, as Tracy quite rightly said, if you are a woman and you just, you know, grow them and know them. It was a great line. Grow them and know them. Early detection stops, which is fantastic. 10.43 here on Summer Days on SENZ. Summer Days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 10.48, Summer Days, SENZ with Stephen McIver. It is Tuesday, the 4th of January, officially a month away from the start of the Beijing Olympics. One text that came through on double eight double three. The pitch, John, is way too good. Way too good for who? Is the question way too good for who? Yeah, he's uh, that's from Australia too. Um, they'll know about good pitches. Um, way too good in terms of a New Zealand pitch. We're not used to it being so flat and good for batting, <laughs> but we should have still been batting I, on it when the Bangladeshis were. I did ask if you remember. I did ask Deepak Patel yesterday. Do you think Gary Stead should have had a little chat 
to the groundsman, not before the test, because he said, what? Doctoring the pitch, Doctoring Stephen. the pitch, Stephen. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I said about maybe this isn't the sort of pitch we needed. Yeah, well, it's a different one. It's a different one in New Zealand. Uh, and we know we knew that already at Bay Oval. And we had first go on it, and it wasn't playing, you know, incredibly tough, and we lost... Six for 70, Stephen. Hey, mate, I just love it. It's like poking the bear with you. Oh. It's just like poke the bear, mention the test, and away you go. Look, yep. uh, I don't know what it is with rugby league, but there always seems to be something going on in rugby league, although this is actually rugby union, sort of. So Blake Ferguson, I quite like watching him play for the Parramatta Eels because he's a bit of a, 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 just a good munter, to be fair. But, he, <laughs> he's, but he's, been, he's been sacked by his Japanese rugby union side, the NEC Green Rockets, Tokatsu. Arrested on the suspicion of drug offences He only just switched codes And he joined the club after failing to secure a new deal with the Eels However, the Green Rockets Where former Wallabies coach Michael Checker Is the director of rugby Said the 31-year-old had had his contract cancelled The club updated an earlier statement Posted on their website To confirm their deal with the winger Had been terminated How dumb do you have to be? Especially doing that in Japan. Hey, maybe you can get it away with it in Bondi in Sydney, <laughs> but not in Japan, Stephen. Like, they have zero tolerance, and once you get caught, 99% of the time, you get convicted. So, and my question to you, Stephen, is how did he even get cocaine up that nose of his, what? Blake Ferguson? It's a hell of a snoz, isn't it? But what, what, do these, what do these individuals not get? What do they not understand? I don't know. This is, this is um, what yeah. frustrates me. Obviously, it's really easy to get. Let's, let's cut to the it's chase. Everywhere. It's everywhere. Well, is it? I don't know. It's I, on I, like they did a study in England and it's uh, these traces of cocaine, cocaine on every single bill, every single bit of money in the UK, these really? traces of cocaine. Unless it's freshly minted, once it's in circulation, these traces you of cocaine. You are kidding me. Yep. That is scary. But, yeah, but what is it money. about these sportsmen that they just can't keep their together yeah yeah I just I mean they're, they're being paid pretty good money let's and I don't want to I don't, I don't want to use the money as an excuse right Brian but but I know Brian gets a bit wound up about this I mean what what is what's your read on this one uh, lack of accountability and somewhere to spend the money they earn a lot yeah but don't they have some of these guys have family look Brad Takarangi who's playing for Hulk KR right he played for yeah. the Roosters he's been uh, looks like he's been done for um, yep. a bit of DUI yeah good impression of Kevin Locke what is, what is that supposed to mean? Kevin Locke, you got done for it too. Stole, oh, yeah. stole the coach's uh, Kevin car. Kevin Locke's back playing footy. No way. He's playing in second division France. I saw that the is other he? day. Yeah. I saw he was playing for that same team as the, Carmichael Hunt was in Queensland. Yeah, that's right. But then now he's gone off to play in second division France to try okay. and reinvigorate the dream. That is, now, that is one. If you talk about rugby league, which we are at the moment, that is one lost talent. Yeah. Because, but he had enough demons to sink a battleship, which is a real shame. Because he's actually, when you meet the kid, he's a really nice guy. Kevin yeah, Locke. got married he's young a, as well. Didn't yeah, and then, he? And that then didn't that last. Busted and everything. But um, yeah, when you when you've got a new deal to go to Japan, you're starting a new career like Blake Ferguson is, and you know what's happened there. Like they stopped the league last year because some players were there was like a cocaine ring going on in the Japanese <laughs> top league, and they stopped the whole <laughs> really? competition. You're kidding me? I thought they, it was, I stopped. The, I thought they stopped it for COVID. No, it was no, cocaine. Yeah, cocaine and then COVID. Uh, yeah, the two all this, C's. All this, yeah. oh, my, oh my gosh, did that really happen? Yes, that's that's their tolerance towards the drug, and and it's deeply shamed. Like this club will be deeply shamed that they've signed someone like uh, Blake Ferguson, who's done this to the club. Well, so. Michael Checker will be the one that has to answer the questions because he'll be the one that has brought the shame upon the club. And if yes. he didn't, re- if he didn't realise that he was getting a buff head, uh, then who knows? So there you go. Blake will Fer- the NRL welcome him back, Stephen? That's oh, the big d- question. Yeah. Of course, he, I of knew course you were going to go. They will not. I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't. But will the NRL? No, no, he's 31. No, done. Done, out the back door. And there are faster, younger wingers going around, you know, Xavier Coates and the like. Yeah, simple as that. <laughs> well, the league, welcome him back. There's John Day firing from the hip again. Will they welcome him back? They're so soft. It's unbelievable. It's 10.53. It's the NZ Summer Days. DNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. 10.58, heading towards the 11 o'clock news. Coming your way after 11 o'clock, Silver Ferns coach Dame Nolene Taurua, uh, fresh off a holiday and on the road. Here's hoping the phone's working wherever she's coming from. But they, of course, have their quad series uh, in a couple of weeks, actually, at the Copper Box Arena in England. So that's a quad series that the Aussies have won five of the last six, and that's their first match, actually, for the Silver Ferns. We'll talk to Dame Nolene about some of the changes, some of the key replacements. Uh, it seems there's been a bit of a baby boom in the in the Silver Ferns, and that's probably why there have been a couple of changes, Katrina Rore and one other. So we'll have a wee chat to her about that. And there's uh, so much more to come. We'll, we'll play, uh, see if you can stump me. Yesterday was a tough old day on, on stumping me, but I think we gave away the money. Did we, did we give away yeah, the money? Yeah, we did. You stumped one caller I stumped uh, one with caller. the first question. He was a boxing champion as well, that's and he right, went for the boxing category. Two, 1964. Yeah. 1964 to a, a scientific flyweight. boxing uh, and also a flyweight championship. Yeah. So, uh, Chris from Foxton. Yeah. I think that was, which was that's a great, right. which was one of those calls you go, how cool is that? So, yeah. That our listeners are actually uh, have more ability than you or I in the ring. Exactly. And I wanted to almost <laughs> turn it into an interview. I was like, well, let's just forget about stumped and talk to you about. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Career. Actually, speaking of which, uh, I hear the fight for life's back uh, in April this year. Awesome. So, Are you I, dusting I, off the gloves again, no, Stephen? No, no. The last one I did, I was 48, which was, I think, 2014, I think. What am I now? I'm 56. Oh, gosh. I, look, I'd do it tomorrow, but I'm not allowed to. Okay. I ended up in hospital after the last one. Mm. They thought it was a brain bleed. It wasn't a brain bleed. It's a gutsy thing to do. Oh, I've done it three is. of them, uh, but it's, it's worth it. You know the fun part of doing the fight for life? It's the training. It's all about the training and having a lot of fun. So I'll be really intrigued to. Uh, I think. I think. I think Kevin Mialamu, uh, the former All Blacks, having a crack at it. Jeez, uh, he'd be tough to knock well, down. Well, I've seen some pictures, and Monty Beetham will not confirm nor deny about it. But he looks in great nick. News coming your way at eleven here on SNZ some of these days, <laughs> and then Dame Nolin Taurua. Summer days on SNZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Three minutes past 11 on summer days, SENZ around New Zealand on the SENZ app or your local frequency. If you're on the app, you can take us anywhere, anytime, listen to us, however way you want. If you're listening to us in Australia on the SEN app, hello to you. Uh, Happy New Year. It's also Happy New Year to Dame Nolene Taurua, uh, the coach of the Silver Ferns, who joins us on the way back from your holiday. Happy New Year, Dame Nolene. Yes, Happy New Year to you too and the listeners as well. Have you had a nice break? Where did you go? Come on, spill the beans. Yeah, look, I went up to the coast um, around uh, Pitianga Bay it is and it's very remote and no Wi-Fi uh, coverage so just heading back into, I was going to say, the big smoke of (laughs) Pukahina which seems like um, probably a two clicks up from Fitianga, so very, very great, very lovely, and the and the weather has been so nice as well. For someone that has to do so much media and has to be on top of things, are you an easy advocate of just switching everything off? 
Yeah, actually, I am very good at that. (laughs) (laughs) I have gotten better, um, as I suppose, as I've gotten older, but also, you know, I've been around the trap for a very long time and been in my job for, um, you know, nearly over 20 years. So I think that's the thing that you learn um, is know when you do switch on and obviously when you do switch off. Um, and taking that time out just to regenerate and and recoup yourself. Um, I know when we do head on the plane on Saturday, it's going to be full on. And, you know, a lot of the things that we um, are going to do in the quad is pretty much leading ourselves to the Commonwealth Games. So um, once once we get on that plane, it's, we're all on. So uh, I'm just going to get myself ready over the next couple of days and, and make sure that I do take that time off. Well, before we talk about that, uh, what did you make of uh, two fellow dames who have been uh, amazing athletes and continue to be, uh, Dame Sophie Pascoe and Dame Lisa Carrington? Did it put a smile on your face? Yeah, it does actually. Um, I'm part of a um, you know a, a program in regards to coaching and and uh, trying to get more females coaching at the higher level. Um, and even though they're not in the coaching realm, um, you know they're such well world class athletes and and deservedly. Um, uh, you know, for them yep. to be dame hooded or whatever they call it, <laughs> I think it's a great achievement and can only be added to their current, um, you know, celebrations that they've had over their, their years of, of being great athletes. So I think it's beautiful. I know myself what it all meant. And, you know, hopefully once again, it's once they do finish um, being an athlete, then hopefully they will still want to give back to the sport. Um, and I think that's really important, knowing that they're still young and, and knowing sort of what type of athletes they are. Let's talk about the squad that you have selected. Uh, seems there's been a bit of a baby boom going on in the in the Silver Fern, so you've had to make a few changes. The return of Kayla Johnson and Phoenix Karaka. Explain the reasons why and what you have seen. Yeah, look, um, when they came into camp uh, in December, late December, um, we had been short, I suppose, over the last maybe six to eight months of of having a surplus of defenders. Um, we only selected, I think, maybe four or five in our New Zealand and also development squad. So um, the great thing is that we knew we had people in the waiting, um, both Kayla Phoenix, uh, Michaela Sokolich Beatson, who did get injured, um, and also Katrina Rore. So we knew we had quality players um, in the midst, but was just waiting for the timing of them coming back. Um, pretty much, you know, both have experience at the international level, and that showed um, when they did come into camp. I think the neat thing is that they've grown um, and now being first-time mothers, they have more appreciation of the sport and them coming back um, in regards to their bodies. You know, so they were both uh, players of um, amazing natural ability. Um, but now, you know, knowing where their bodies are, they're recovering, they're stretching, you know, they're doing every, those little one percenters that actually make them better athletes and understand or appreciate the time that they're away from their families. So that in itself is a great combination and they came in and really um, it was a no-brainer by including them. Um, they're both ball getters um, and we've been low on our stats in regards to gain so they were able to boost that. 
um, and they're both adaptable in regards to positions, so they can pretty much cover two positions easily. Um, so them coming into the mix with Sulu, um, Karen and also Kelly, who have made great strides over the last season, is, you know, really bolsters up that end. Um, so I'm happy. I, I can't wait to see them back out on court. And I know over the last two or three weeks they've been working really hard. Um, I think the added bonus of this is that they're both taking their babies oh, wow. uh, to England wow. so, okay. and their caregivers. Yeah, so it's massive. You know, it's a massive trip not only for them as individuals, but us as Silver Ferns. It's like we need a baby crash. Um, you know, so it's it's going to be new grounds that we're breaking, but... Um, I think the good thing is the intentions are good from everybody. Yeah. So we'll, we'll give it a crack and see how we go. Yeah, look, I find that fascinating. But obviously you, you feel that's very important for the culture. Yeah, I think um, with both um, Kayla and also um, Phoenix, um, I suppose they present to us a wee bit different. Um, you know, both of their husbands are also professional athletes and obviously Sean over in Sydney. Um, so he's over there playing for the Warriors and with Pat um, Phoenix's husband, he's over in Japan. So, you know, they've got different backgrounds mm. where um, uh, baby and they're still young, you know, they're over, only one. So. Yeah. Um, for them to perform and be at their best, um, that's what they need at this time. So we're going to go with it. Um, it's probably not our usual. Um, and, you know, knowing what it's like over in the UK, it's going to be pretty hard. But they're determined to, to um, make sure that everything's right and that's what they want. So we'll go with it and see how, how it pans out. The, the selection of Kayla and her emotional response at the press conference and on television interviews says this was... I wondered whether she expected to get back in because she was very emotional. Can you shed some light on that reaction? Yeah, um, she, she actually was. It's probably something that I've never known about her. Um, when she last played for the Silver Ferns, she was actually leading into the Commonwealth Games um, and she had a knee injury and was taken off the list. Um, so, she, you know, she was selected to play in the Commonwealth Games and couldn't go through with it. So I think that's nearly like three years ago and obviously going overseas, um, having baby in between, uh, getting married and all those sort of good things that happen in your life. Um, netball probably was put to the back um, and and wasn't, you know, it was, yeah. So I think now that she's selected and back in the mix, um, she knows that there's still more work to do in regards to her body coming off injuries and with knee problems, there's, there's, uh, there's still issues there and surgery. So I think for her, it was massive. Um, and, and as she alluded to in her interview, she wasn't expecting to get herself back into the mix. But, um, you know, I, I still know where she is. Yeah. She's not the complete package, but um, she's she's amazing when she is out on court, and and she she deserves to be here at this stage. It says a lot about the environment you're creating that they want to be back in there. Now that's a huge testament to you, Dame Nolan. You've got two youngsters that will potentially get their their first cap, and Phil Devoy and Emilia Rulu Buchanan. What can we expect from these young women? 
Yeah, that's that's the exciting thing. Um, I'm not too sure if I'm going to be honest. You know, they're still quite green in regards to being stable in the ANZ, our local or domestic competition. Um, Fielders probably, oh God, somebody that really came out of the woodwork. Um, and if I'm going to be honest, I um, she's a massive core for us. But we rely hugely on knowing what her strengths are. And, and for us in that shooting end, her high percentage of shoot shots, plus also her ability just to go, go to post, was something that she delivered consistently at camp and at trials. Um, so that's something that we're holding on to dear life that she will be able to do. I know that there's still positional... Um, um, I suppose improvements that need to be made and, and I'm aware of that and not throwing her into the deep end but also know that I need to be able to see is she in contention realistically for Commonwealth Games um, Mila came in like a bull um, <laughs> into camp and, and probably had the attitude of of not worrying about anything, not expecting anything but going to take it um, to anybody who's who's against her, and she definitely did that as well. I think there's always those bolters that come out of the yeah. woodwork, and Mila was one of those, and she put her hand up right from the start and was very difficult to be able to not to not select her. So I'm, I'm expecting probably quite a bit from Mila. Um, she was involved in the under-21 team, um, that went to Botswana and won the World Youth Cup um, alongside the likes of Maya, um, was there, Tiana. Um, so there's quite a few of those younger ones that have been in the Silver Ferns over the past couple of seasons. So Mila's now joining them. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do in a real settled uh, mid-court. You, listening to you, I get this really strong impression that accountability is at the front of your mind for every player. Yeah, um, I would like to think. I would like to think that's now become part of um, uh, the Silver Ferns: accountability, transparency, honesty, um, and the uh, hopefully the collective and the willingness to do the job. Um, so you actually scare me a bit, Dame. Actually, um, you scare me a bit, Dame Nolene. I don't think I'd like to be on your team because I think you'd you'd bash me up. Oh no! (laughs) I think the great thing about it is that everybody knows. You know, like um, I I think that's we've gotten out. We've got ourselves to the position where we all know who should be there and who shouldn't, and um, they're there because they're the best or that they've put their hand up, or they've prepared to work, mm. and they've made shifts. And I think we've got to ourselves the stage of our culture or our environment is like that. So it's quite transparent, um, irrelevant of whether you've been there before or not. Um, so, you know, time will tell whether that's the right way and the selections yeah. and... And for that to happen, you know, we're playing against Australia, South Africa and England and the best teams that we possibly could come up against. So, um, but if they're put into the right uh, environment and having the right people around, there should be no reason why um, they don't progress and, and really showcase why they're there. 
Just one final thought, Dame Nolene. How hungry are you for this this quad series being the right preparation for the Com Games? Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Um, I I know we're going over to UK, and I know what's happening over there at the moment, and. Uh, the weather's crap and it's cold and all the rest of it. But um, for us, this is the start of our build-up um, to towards the Com Games. Um, we have the ANZ after um, this quad series, and from there we'll be able to track uh, the shift that people will make um, before we do the final selections end of July, I think it is. So this is massive for everybody. I've got to be able to get everybody out on court, but also track those players that we've been working with over the last, you know, few seasons. So it's exciting. Uh, we'll be able to see how good or not we are against the uh, opposition and how far we've got to go. But I think with the planning and everything like that, this this January quad is 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 at the right time. We've still got a long time to be able to move and be better but also have enough time to be able to consolidate ourselves. So I can't wait to get on the plane. Dame Nolan, I thank you for being so generous with your time. When you're sitting there in the cold at the Copper Box Arena, no, just uh, have those wonderful memories of where you've been in the last couple of weeks. You'll, you'll be fine. Yes, I will. That's, that's why I soaked it up, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Dame Nolene. Dame Nolene Taurua, Silver Ferns coach. I've got to say, that is one tough lady, JD. I, I, I actually haven't interviewed Dame Nolene before, but just listening to her, you can understand what she demands I was staggered, and I think she's surprised too in the sense that they're allowing Karaka and uh, Johnson to take their wee babies with them, which is a first for them. So that, yeah. that, that comes as a surprise. Yeah, it does. And she said they were different circumstances, given that Sean Johnson's yep. playing with the Warriors and Patrick Toipolotu's in Japan. So they can't just be like, oh, husbands, look after the babies, because they're busy working as well. I did wonder about that. And, when, and with them being so young, a separation from a mother could, be, could create a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So, and you but, get the feeling, because you also, she's like, this isn't not what we'd normally do, because she's trying to run yeah. a high-pressure highly accountable yeah. like you mentioned environment where a baby in the corner might just be like oh you know i'm telling you how to do your job and you're over bloody thinking of something else yeah, you know completely it's, it's, so it's going to be interesting to see if it works or not Stephen. what what's what struck what struck me more than anything was the the cultural values it reminded me a heck of a lot of the black fern sevens I just got that impression that the culture that she has created, and I know we throw that word culture out a lot, John, right? But you got to be really careful with that because it's too, it's too easy to throw out. But I just thought that, my goodness, having been around some Blackfern Sevens and seeing what they did at the Tokyo, understanding what their culture was about, this, the similarities seem striking. Yeah, massively. And I think honesty is a big word that she used and that you get from the Blackfern Sevens and you maybe don't get from some other sports mm. teams, especially uh, honesty with the media. You ask Dame Nolene about any of her players, she'll tell you. Well, what did she say? Kayla Johnson's not the complete package right now. And this yeah. is a former Silver Fern, not the complete package. And Phil DeVuey, like, oh, I know I'm taking a risk here and I don't know what to expect from her. Gotta love that. Yeah. Well, to use her words, transparency. It's 11.20 SCNZ Summer Days. If you want to hear that interview again, it'll be up on our... Uh, 
our website and our app very, very soon. Just go to Mornings with Smithy and look up uh, Dame Nolene Taldua and you will find it there. Should be up there in about half an hour. So uh, it was an intriguing conversation. I've got to say, first time I've interviewed her and uh, a real pleasure. Coming next, we talk Speedway with Nick Brown. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 11.25 this Tuesday, January 4. It is a big night at Lucas Oil Western Springs Speedway because they've got the 50-lap Midget Classic and Saloon Series. We'll be talking a little bit later on today to one of the rock stars for that 50-lap Midget Classic in Michael Pickens. But right now we're going to talk to the face and the voice of Lucas Oil Western Speed Springway, and that is, of course, what did I say, Springway? Uh, and, yeah. and, and Nick Brown. Hello, Nick. How are you, mate? Happy New Year. And a happy new year to you too, Steve. Uh, oh, wow, he's thrown the Steve out already. Wow, okay, do we carry on this conversation? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, um, it must be nice to have a crowd back at Western Springs. Look, um, the first first thing on Boxing Day, it was spectacular to get the cars back on the track, and it was uh, a piece of absolute genius by the organisers to actually make sure everyone was moving within their bubbles, and the bubbles were racing around the track, and we were getting results and getting down getting some actual racing, but you're dead right. When the crowds came back on uh, January the 1st, it just lifted everything. I mean, you, you've been there for a number of years now. What is it about the springs that that, that draws people in? Well, it, it's, it's got a history behind it. You know, since 1929, they've been uh, racing there, albeit, you know, bikes in the old days, uh, believe it or not, and it was a cycle track. Uh, but it, it's moved on. And it seemed the, I guess, the genesis of all types of speedways. You know, they had stock cars at Western Springs in the early days. Uh, and it saw the development of the TQs, the midgets, and the sprint cars. And uh, because it was in Auckland at the time, when overseas drivers came to New Zealand, sometimes they could only be here for like a couple of days. So they used to race at Springs. So Western Springs became synonymous with the pointy end of this motorsport. Yeah, and it's a real shame that we've got border issues because to have some of those American rock stars come out, you know, the likes of uh, Tony Stewart and Kyle Larson, certainly does add something. But we've got plenty of talent. So we'll talk about the 50-lapper in a moment. Uh, What can we expect today, particularly in the saloon car series? Well, saloons uh, years ago used to race at the Springs, and we've had them back as a guest class every now and again, uh, because the size of the saloons and the way they throw their power into the corners, the tight quarter-mile track uh, lends itself to some uh, quite quite brave moves. Yeah. And sometimes the drivers, early in the season, they don't chuck it around quite so much. But I do remember last season, I think, was the best performance of the saloon cars. Man, they were, they were putting down times that were close to sprint car times, throwing the cars around and just really taking the, the, the bull by the horns. The track is going to be fast tonight, and it's going to suit that racing down to the wire. So uh, you talk about cars that will clear the debris off the track uh, and make it a nice flat racing service for the midgets and sprint cars. The saloons are the machines to do that. What What are the fields like, and how many saloon races are there, Nick? Uh, there's a, there'll be uh, three heat races, and uh, there'll be a feature for the saloons. Uh, we, we don't have as many as we'd like, but then again, uh, there are other racetracks around the country that are racing, and uh, we're grateful 
for the drivers that are turning up. Steve Williams is going to be turning up there in his uh, Ford Mustang and turning on a display, as he always does at Western Springs. But um, if we get two saloon cars out in the track, I'd be happy. Uh, but we've got a few more than that. Yeah, I know he was over at Bay Park the other day uh, having, a, having a nudge, So, and then back to his Kumu base to clean all the cars out. So it'll be it'll be good to have Tiger's ex-caddy out there doing the job. So the, the junior divisions, do you have uh, plenty in the junior divisions? Yeah, um, the quarter midgets is absolutely chock full this year uh, and some stunning drives coming out. There was uh, just a couple of years ago, you know, maybe one or two drivers that stood head and shoulders above the others. I mean, this year, uh, Emerson Vincent, like uh, the last couple of years, is just a stunning driver oh. to watch. But boy, has he lifted the bar for the rest of them, you know, and they're really trying. I mean, Emerson got his first podium uh, on, uh, on January the 1st, missing out on Boxing Night because someone else was quicker, you know, and that's the first time in a long time. But it's great to see the competition heating up. And a lot of those guys have moved straight on into TQs, uh, midgets, and even uh, some of the F2s. The F2 midgets is really a strong, strong field of this. How old is Emerson now? Is he a teenager yet? The last time I spoke to him would have been potentially... Four years ago, out of the tr- out of the yeah. track, sort of Pukekohe way, and and I was staggered by this this young man whose attitude was incredibly professional, and they they turn out a very nice car. Oh, they do, they do, and there's uh, a couple of they sponsor uh, one of the TQs as well, so it's uh, a, a nice little race team. But I think I think he's twelve now. I think he might be twelve. <laughs> but uh, the, the most surprising thing for me, we got to talk to him after the race. And how much he's grown. I mean, pretty soon, give him another year, he's going to be too big for the quarter midgets. Uh, not, not in terms of age, but in terms of size. Yeah, I know. The, the, the one thing that scares me about those cars, having had a look at not the, the little ones, but the bigger ones, there's not much room in those things to move, is there? They're, you're, you're literally in a like an upright coffin. Well, imagine this. It was said to me once, it's like sitting on the toilet with an engine on your knees. <laughs> uh, because that's the position you sit in. You sit in a position like you're sitting on the toilet, and I guess uh, if it does scare you enough, it's a really convenient way to be sitting. Um, but yeah, the, the engine... <laughs> Is right there on your knees. You beat me too. What I was going to say, you got the the bog roll just beside you. Uh, is, <laughs> just okay. Uh, t- t- <laughs> just briefly, Michael Pickens is he red hot for the uh, midget fifty lapper? Well, look, you've got to say Michael Pickens at Western Springs is one of the unbeatable drivers. Right up until um, uh, the other night, uh, Brad Mosen uh, once again is so comfortable in the Greenway car that we saw over the last couple of seasons that he. Um, put on a spectacular drive and it was great watching him drive with Michael Pickens believe it or not for second and third place because Max Guilford currently driving the 3MZ uh, event car um, walked away with the race I mean walked away he got every time we got a yellow he got the jump on it there was at one stage Michael Pickens put on a fantastic run picked up three cars went straight to first place Maxie nailed him by the next corner and put on a spectacular effort uh, and finishing the race on, on Saturday night, then promptly wrecked the car in the first corner. Oh, when, when does it all get going tonight, mate? Uh, we kick off at, uh, well, gates open at four. Five o'clock is when we start the warm-ups, and six o'clock we go racing. Look. And, of course, if you can't be there at the Springs, you can catch it by going to wssprings.com and click on the uh, the uh, feed, and you can watch it wherever you are in the country. So just again, that's wssprings.com? 
uh, wsspeedway.com wsspeedway.com and you can see your beautiful manicured beard as well hey mate uh, happy Christmas, uh, happy new year should I say have fun tonight and uh, look forward to seeing how the Pickens man gets going thanks Mick well hopefully mate looking forward to catch up with you at uh, maybe a home warriors game sometime yeah, that, that would, wouldn't that be nice cheers buddy appreciate your yeah. time Nick Brown the face and voice of Western Springs Speedway so okay wsspeedway.com is the place to go we'll talk to Michael Pickens after one o'clock this afternoon here on SNZ Summer Days okay uh, Trudy's not too far away it's 11.32 a little bit later I apologise for that but if you want to try and play Stumped by Stephen now is the chance to call 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. Stumped by Stephen. That's right, we do this every day at around this time, just after the 11.30 news with Trudy, where we give away $50 thanks to the TAB, as well as some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And today, we head to the Garden City, where Jason is waiting. G'day, Jason. Yeah, how's it going? Good, thanks, mate. How's your new year going? Oh, pretty good, mate. Just working. I had a couple of step days off, but, you know... Oh, working through. Well, some people have to, don't they, Jason? So you're taking one for the team. Good on you, mate. How's the weather down in Christchurch? Oh, she's muggy as today. We're sitting on about 25 degrees. It's good. good. So you're taking some time out in the shade to play this quiz. Well, you get three categories. You choose one. And then if you get three questions right, you win all the prizes. But as soon as you get one wrong, then Stephen McIver can saunter on in and take those prizes away from you, and it goes to the next person. So, Jason, your categories today are rugby league, basketball, and motorsport. Which one of those do you like? Uh, rugby league, mate. Rugby league. That's where you like. He's probably a Hornby supporter or something like that, are you? <laughs> nah. Warriors hard. <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't support your local rugby t- league teams out there? That's okay, pal. We'll, we'll take the Warriors hard line. All right, well, just prepare. Just right. prepare, my friend. Let's go. Jason from Christchurch. Question number one. Cameron Smith. Heard of him, eh? Yep. Yep. He has the record for the most NRL games played. How many games did Cameron Smith play in his rugby league career? NRL games. Uh, 425. One of the worst things I have ever Ah. seen done on a cricket field. Dodgy phone line, but I think you said 425. Is that correct? Yep. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, he's in the 400s. So he is. I, 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 but I think it's low 400s. So I'm going to play 404. One of the worst things <laughs> I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You have not been stumped, Jason, and you were closer. 430 NRL games, Cameron Smith. Oh, Amazing. Unlucky. Oh, my gosh. We I... will never see that broken, will we? No, no, I don't, way. no, no, no way. I mean, because he was—I think he looked after his body well too. And when you think he was playing hooker, okay. uh, which is one of the hardest positions to play, particularly with the amount of defensive work yeah. you got to do, that is a fine effort. That's almost super league territory. It is, you know, with the amount of games they play up there. Epic, epic, epic. Yeah. All right. Question number two, Jason. Another guy who played a lot of games over three hundred. Terry Lamb. Do you know Terry Lamb? Yep. All right. Terry Lamb was one of the greatest Bulldogs ever between 1984 and 1996. But which club did Terry Lamb start his career at? Um, what was that, sorry? 
Manly. Manly. I wish. One of the worst things I have ever seen ah. done on a football. cricket field. Yeah, wearing a manly polo today too. Surely it's our year this year. But anyway, by the by, Stephen, a chance for a stumping. Where did Terry Lance suburbs? start his career? Western suburbs? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. Yeah, Smashed it out of the ground. You have been stumped, Jason. <laughs> Got him. Got him, yes. <laughs> nice work. No, no, it's, a, it's a rarity. It's a rarity, buddy. So don't feel too bad, okay? Nah, sweet, Ed. You have a good day. Yeah, you too, pal. Thanks yeah. for playing. Back to the tools for Jason, but we're staying in Christchurch, the Garden City, and we've got Chris. G'day, Chris. G'day. How is your summer going? Oh, great summer. Yeah. Terrible at league. Oh, terrible at league. So do you want to switch categories? <laughs> is he allowed to? Yeah, yeah. We made this rule uh, late last year yeah, right. after some people were getting stitched up with sports they didn't know. Okay, fair enough. So does motorsport spin your wheels or basketball? Bit of a... <laughs> let's try basketball. All right, let's, let's try it. Let's try it. And just one question as well for all the chocolates. So for the sleep drops and for the 50 bucks. Which franchise won their first NBA title in 2019? 2019. Yeah. Um, let's go back. And it was the Going backwards. Yeah, first um, ever. Start off the computer. <laughs> no, I'm not on the computer. I'm in my car, to be fair. I'm parked on the side of the road. Oh, good, um, man, good man, good man. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going backwards, 2019. So who won it last um, year? So that was the Bucks. Yeah. Oh, the bu- okay, so I, that was you and me both thinking the same thing. So their first time. Yeah. yeah. So their f- that's 20, uh, 2019. Their first title. Yep. This team, it was their, their first title. ever title, and it was 2019. No, it's... Oh, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick myself here. I should just know this. I should just know this. Um, gonna have to get uh, something out of you. All right, yeah, Chris. okay. Um, oh man. No, I'm drawing a blank with all my. Which team do you support in the NBA? Toronto Raptors. Toronto Raptors. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, it took you a long time, Chris, but you got there, mate. Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto yep. Raptors. That's. Do you remember now it's all come back to you? They yep. stole Kawhi yep, from the Spurs. He won them a title, and he got yep. straight out of Canada straight away. That's straight right. Away, he hit those ridiculous shots, the one from the corner. Yep, yep. Um, it was just crazy. Yep, Special player, and you do know your basketball, so congratulations. <laughs> you won the yeah. street Sleep Drops. Try them. Sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. But read the label, take as directed. Sleep Drops Auckland, and you get 50 bucks from the TAB. You win all the prizes, Chris. Brilliant. Stoked with that. Awesome. <laughs> well, you should be because you, you, you had me, and then you suddenly sound like a, an NBA guru. Well done, buddy. Yeah. Good on you, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Wow, that was now that now that was the one I didn't get. But as soon as you went Carwell in it, I went because then he went to the Clippers, right? Went straight to yeah, the Clippers after away. that. So yeah. got them a title and got out of town. Yeah. So. Weird dude, Kawhi Leonard. You're like so talented and good at basketball, <laughs> but just the way he treated the Spurs and then treated the Toronto Raptors, and then we haven't really seen him since. Injured all the time, so could have been one of the greats, like up there with LeBron and the rest of them. But could have been too injured and not loyal enough, Kawhi. Naughty, wow, naughty so you're Kawhi. big on loyalty, eh? You're big on loyalty, eh, Johnny? That's 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 a big thing for you. Yeah, well, when it suits, Stephen. When, when it suits. Yeah. <laughs>
11.42, this is SENZ Summer Days. Uh, coming your way after midday today, we're going to talk to Nick Holt, not the actor. He's the chief cricket correspondent for The Telegraph to see, uh, does he believe that the English cricket side have any chance, any chance whatsoever, of staving off a 5-0 Ashes series loss? They've already lost the series, and they've looked pretty average. Decision-making has been all over the place. So he will have a, a, a good read on the situation. So that's what we can look forward to. And coming up shortly, I think we're going to play a little bit of Who Am I? Is that what we're going to do? Let's put a little bit of Who Am I shortly here on SENZ Summer Days. Summer Days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. 11.47, it's time to play a little game that we haven't done before, you and I, John Day, and that's called Who Am I? I know who you are, I know who I am, but the key to this one is I've got to try and guess who the individual is. Yes, absolutely, and for you to play as well, listening. I know it's those summer afternoons, and we just thought we'd have a bit of fun. More segments, the better as well. (laughs) And just an update on the cricket as well. I think Bangladesh has put that lead over 100 runs now. Not that I'm panicking or angry, No, not that you're panicking one iota, John. No. Not at all, but just saying. Yeah, so they lead by 103, (laughs) 431 for six Bangladesh. Anyway. Actually, that's a a jolly good total. big total, isn't it? Big total. Anyway, who am I, Stephen? John Day. That's right, but who am I in this game? (laughs) I was born in Australia in 1960, and I broke several records in my chosen sport. That is clue number one. Any inkling who it could be God, so far? Yeah, next question, please. Next well, clue. Ha- 1960, yep. right? So how old so, is he? Well, I, what is that? Four and a half, 40, 40, 50, oh, 65, so he's 60, 61. Yep, he's 61. He broke several records in his chosen sport, okay. so you know he's a man and you know he's 61. What did you say? An Australian. Would, well, how do I know he's a man? You never said he well, was a I man. Well, I accidentally let it slip. <laughs> so that's, question, that's clue number one. No, no idea who it could be? Got no idea. Clue number two. I captained my country and my playing stats were 187 centimetres and 108 kilograms. Any idea who it could be now? 187 centimetres. What's that? That's probably six. Oh, so six, two, two, six, six, two, six, three. And what was the kilograms? 108 kilos. So healthy. And kept in his country. So I'm starting to think, I don't know the answer. I'm starting to think a rugby player or a rugby league player. That's all I'm thinking. With those stats, you don't want to have a guess yet? Two, two clues down? Don't want to have a guess? Uh, Nope. Nope. Not at all. All right. Clue number three. I starred in a New Zealand commercial during the 1990s with Supergroove, and it went like this. When you're spoiling for a bite, attack the pack and put your stomach right. Macho, yeah. taste romance. Eat so much, we'll stop the rumbles. You know what I mean? Eat now. So that Muncho's ad with Supergroove, I starred in that ad. Any idea who it could be, Stephen? And if you do, don't want to listen, uh, ruin it for the people at home. You can just give me a nod and we'll just say yes, I know. I'm thinking I'm getting closer. Okay. I think the ad gave it away a little bit. The, okay. The voice is is familiar. Mm. Um, All right. Should I give you one more clue before we... Well, well the, if I'm getting close, do you think that clue might give it away? 
Potentially. 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 No, I think we I think I think we leave it. I think I think okay, I'm Okay, that's I think, enough. I think I'm good to go. I think the super groove commercial and hearing the voice was and, and when I think back to it now, height, so we're saying six two, six three, which is yep. I think the weight is an interesting one because that's that's actually not that heavy for someone that height, uh, that tall, right? That's that's a solid build. Yeah. So it sounds like sounds like the individual could be a strong runner. Yeah, uh, like a, a a bit of a beast. So, and yes. I, captain's country. So now I'm starting to think. I'm now I'm starting to I'm starting to head towards rugby league, right? Uh, and I think I may I think I may have it. If you've got a better idea, or well, uh, maybe you want to uh, call us or text us on double eight double three. Rather, you call me 0800-150811. Who am I? We'll we'll try and get the answer in just a tick. It's Kiwi for sport. 11.57, and we are now going to try and reveal the answer to the who am I. So I've had one guess, a couple of guesses actually. One I think is the correct guess. Uh, someone has said Nick Farr-Jones. I think that's well off target. Yeah. I don't think he was 187 centimetres and 108 kilograms. Uh, you know, he was... That would have been a huge halfback even these days <laughs> to be 108 kilos. So not Nick Farr-Jones. He did captain his country and yeah. he would be about that old, about 60, yeah, 61. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. So not correct. So just give us the clues. The clues again. Just give us the clues again. I was born in Australia in 1960 and I broke several records in my chosen sport. Right. I captained my country and my playing stats were 187 centimetres and 108 kgs. And I starred in a New Zealand commercial during the 1990s with Supergroove. Play that commercial again because I think this is the dead set giveaway. When you're spoiling for a bite Attack the tackle, put your stomach right Macho, yeah. teach from me Eat so much or stop the rumbles, you know what I mean? Even now, macho Eat a macho, stop the rumbles What a chip, munchos Oh, is that what it was for? Yeah, Where eat a munchos Are Supergroove still around? They should be, they're incredible when you see them live, they are amazing. Oh, really? And okay. Fu is one of the greats oh, as well. Yes, when he's he, in yeah. with them as well, it's yeah. just... He's he, 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 he the godfather. Yeah. Uh, I is. think I have the answer, and I know uh, our friend Brett has the answer as well. Uh, am I allowed to reveal? It's time for the reveal, It's Stephen. time for the reveal. It's Mel Meninga. It's Lewis now. Lewis has got some support. And he's holding up Mel Meninga. Can he get there? Mel Meninga, big Mel Meninga, broke his arm four times in the 1980s. And that's why he ended up having that arm bar, yeah. arm break, should I say, yeah. in the 90s when they won in 1990 Yes, uh, against the Dogs, if I'm correct. And was that against the Dogs or was that 94? No, no. When he was chasing, was that 94 they lost when Jared McCracken was chasing the ball down? 94 they won. That was Mel Meninga's final game. That's the was one. Was the that, grand final that, victory. That 94 that's back when line. He was chasing McCracken down or something like that. Yeah. yeah. That 94 back line, Stephen, of <laughs> Brett Mullins, <laughs> what, Noah Nadruku, Ken Nagus, and then in the centres you had Meninga and Wiki, and then Stewart and Daly. 
Has there ever been a better backline? Wow. I don't. Th- I do- <laughs> listen to listen to the B man. He's fizzing at the bung. No, there hasn't. Stick around. We talk cricket with the head correspondent, cricket correspondent for the Telegraph, Nicholas Holt, surely, and also hear from Margot Hackett, our newest Winter Olympian. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. It is Tuesday, the 4th of January, 2022. That's probably something that the English cricket team would like. Just freedom. Get me out of Australia straight away. The Ashes series has lost still two tests to play. The pink test tomorrow at the SCG. One man that's probably probably tired of fielding questions about the performance of the English cricket team is the chief cricket correspondent for The Telegraph, Nick Holt, who joins me right now. Uh, Good morning to you, Nick. Oh, and now he's dropped off. So how about that? I'm having a lovely time, aren't I? Just getting that. Well, because there was because Nick Holt. Right, so I'm going to start the question. Was not Nick Holt the actor? Right? Do you know that one? That old that old classic. All right. Tell me when he's there. Was he was he waiting? Was he just a bit bit impatient for us? He was maybe? there for two minutes, Stephen. No, and I'm pre- sure we'll be able to get him back unless there's some breaking news in Sydney about the English cricket team, and he just had to hang up and write an article quickly for the <laughs> I, Telegraph. I, I, but... I love how you think that there's going to be some breaking news. He probably got a bit cr- cranky that he was waiting for two minutes, and 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 oh, Hang on, I can see that it's clicked in. Is he there? Answer phone. Answer phone. Oh, that's just that's just great. Yeah, that's just great. We'll plug I, away. We'll just we'll just plug away because they are in all sorts of bother. Because I need to talk to him about uh, Joe Root, uh, who's saying that he might he will consider his captaincy uh, after the Hobart Test. Uh, he tomorrow becomes the most capped English captain. At 60, 60, that's a hell of an effort when you're a cricketer. You know, 60 tests. I think it's 60 tests, isn't it? Um, is he there yet, Brian? No no joy? No joy whatsoever? No joy as yet. And no joy for the Black Caps today either, Stephen. Oh, what's this, actually, what is the what is the latest on them? Yeah, um, they have made it well over 100. I think it's drinks at the moment. First drinks break uh, for the day. And Bangladesh are... As we furiously type away on Crick Info. Yeah, just a, a quick double check on Crick Info. 441 so, for six, Bangladesh. 441 for six. That's right. After 100 and almost 70 overs. So that's, that's a look. Okay, so you haven't got any wickets now. What do you do if you – okay, so here, here's the kicker. What do you do if you're Bangladesh, mate? What do I do if I'm Bangladesh? What do you do? You just stay out there, right? And you just drag this one out now. Yeah, just – I want to bat once. So if I bat the rest of the day, that's another – so get a 300-run lead, then put New Zealand in on the last day and try and bowl them out for the victory. Oh, last day and all those, that spin, that wicket that wasn't supposed to take spin. Yeah, that one, yeah, that's what you do. That's a fine effort by Bangladesh at the moment. I mean, are we being disrespectful? Are we being disrespectful saying it's a fine effort or just, or just purely the fact that they have done the job? Well, I think we just... We were being disrespectful. A little bit, we? yeah. Yeah, we weren't expecting much from them. Like, no. we weren't expecting much. Um, and we haven't really done a lot of homework on a lot of these guys. I think Joy, who's opening the batting for them, is playing his second test. Mm. Um, I didn't know much about him. Mom- Mominal Hark, I do. Listen, Das, I do, their little wicketkeeper. But yep. apart from that... 
Yeah, interesting times, interesting times to say the least. All right, well, he uh, seems to have gone away for the moment. Um, I'm just wondering if we can uh, have a, do a bit of a Jack's Link thing while we're waiting. Uh, can we do that? Can we just throw that one? The Jack's Links makes you think one. Do you, yeah, just, okay. Just throw that in. I've, I've been writing a little bit, so if you want to just throw that in, we'll just pop it up now and play the little thing in yep. where we go. Jack Links makes you think. Irresistible flavour to satisfy your hunger. Jack Links does make you think thanks to the all-new maple and brown sugar ham jerky. With news today that Blake Ferguson has been sacked by his Japanese rugby club before even playing a game for alleged possession of cocaine and Brad Takarangi allegedly being done for drink driving, I do wonder why sports people still to continue to make the same mistakes. In modern professional sport, the material awards are good. You know, you get the good salary, you get the nice cars if that's part of your deal, and you get the free clothes, the gear, the whole nine yards. But that doesn't change the fact that some individuals are simply quite dumb and haven't learned a thing. Professional clubs do their utmost to make sure there are safeguards in place for players to make sure that they are following the rules and safeguarding themselves, but also the club that they play for. But there are too many occasions on a yearly basis of players just simply not able to comply. Now, there could be a reason for this, but have have a think about this. I spoke to Supercoach Wayne Bennett about four years ago ahead of a Four Nations Rugby League tournament. I sat down and interviewed him, and I walked away stunned. I asked him about his attitude towards wayward players, and he was very firm in his opinion. And, and his obvious forgiving attitude. And you can use Matt Lodge, who is now at the Warriors, as an example. Because when Matt Lodge went on a lunatic rampage in New York and had to pay, pay up individuals for assaulting them, Wayne Bennett took him back, saying there was more to the individual than what the eye saw. And so what Wayne Bennett told me at the time was this, that the problem didn't actually lie with the individual themselves. It lay with the parents. And that the actions we see should be in part contributed to the lifestyles that some of these individuals grew up in. Now that attitude may not resonate with many of you, but the supercoach does know people and has this very simple philosophy. Look at the individual and then look at the environment that they've grown up in and then it may answer a lot of the questions that you've been trying to, to find answers to. So that's just something I was musing about when we've been talking about these individuals, which disappoints me constantly because every year, without a, without a shadow of a doubt, Rugby League seems to find a way into the news for all the wrong reasons, and that is tiring. But do you agree or disagree? Is it unfair for us to lay the blame at an individual's upbringings, upbringing, excuse me, or do we have to blame the individual themselves for being just a numpty? I'm actually inclined to agree that part of the issue, and I do agree with Wayne Bennett, that the, an individual's upbringing has plenty to do with how that person turns out. And the fact that, and, and the, for me, the other part of this is a lot of blame should also go on clubs. Now, clubs, I said, I know I said in my piece there that clubs do a lot of work and try to safeguard players. But they don't always make the job easy for players too because they of the requests and requirements that players have to adhere to in their professional environment. And sometimes it's all too easy to blame the individual and sack, the, sack them. But it's the old story. If you break the law, you break the law. 
and clubs cannot afford uh, sponsors to start thinking about saying, thanks very much, sayonara, we're gone, when a player brings that club into disrepute. And there will always be disrepute clauses in contracts. Look at the Bulldogs. They went through plenty of disrepute clauses and players playing up in post-season celebrations. And it's only because they have worked very hard to try and find what they would call family-loyal sponsors that they are back in the game, so to speak, because they've spent plenty off-season ahead of this next NRL season. So it's just worth thinking about. If you want to make a comment on that one, feel free on 0800 150 811. That's 0800 150 811. And that was Jack Lynx Makes You Think. Thanks to the all-new ham jerky with hickory smoke and a dash of maple and brown sugar. They've gone the whole hog. I like saying that again. I'm going to say it again. With hickory smoke and a dash of maple and brown sugar. They've gone the whole hog. Oh, it sounds good. I love jerky, by the way. I'm a big jerky eater. Yeah, makes me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, beef well, jerky's the classic jerky, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's – see, I, I I go to my local butcher in Biltong, right? Biltong, yeah. similar thing, right? Yeah. Aren't they similar? They are similar, aren't they? Jer- similar. They're dried meat. Yeah. It's just dried meat, which is the way it goes. So, Jack uh, Link's is a bit sweeter and juicier, Oh, I think, than your classic South African biltong, which is more, yeah, savoury, kind of stringy a bit. Yeah, no, very, yeah, no, no, very springy. A stringy, I can attest. I can attest to that that it does get a little bit stringy. Mm. Uh, but that's that's the way it goes. So where are we at? Four hundred and forty-one for six weird drinks, are we? Uh, Bangladesh leading by a hundred and thirteen runs, and no sign of our friend Mr. Holt. No, no, he just put out a tweet forty-six minutes ago saying that the full round of negative tests for England in Sydney. So that's good news uh, because a full co- round, a full round of negative tests for England because the coaches got COVID. And I think three members of the coaching staff. So does that mean those? COVID. Does that mean that those coaches can now come back into the play or not? No, no, they have been ruled out of this test. Oh, but it, oh, gee, the oh, fear gee. was it's it's spread to the playing group, as you would think, if your coaches right. got it yeah, and your coaching enough. staff have got it. But full round of negative tests for England and Sydney. So they seem to have headed off the outbreak before infecting any players, and the testing regime will be relaxed now because there were fears that. Geez, if this is rife throughout the England side, and Travis Head has got it in the Aussie team, you know, what do you do with this test match? If the players all have COVID, you can't really play a test match, can yeah, you? But uh, Well, there was a lot of talk uh, over the, once the third test had been won, there was a lot of talk, I was watching the coverage, a lot of talk about whether they should have come here at all. Mm. Sorry, come to Australia over the whole COVID conditions. And apparently there were, there were very strong conditions, written conditions in place about how the series was to be run. And I don't think they really took into account Omicron. No. Well, it wasn't a thing when they first turned up. No, was it? it wasn't. I mean, even though we are reading more and more and more that it's less severe and that, it, you know, there are articles today suggesting it could be the beginning of the end. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's really wreaked havoc, particularly in New South Wales. It's just gone. Yeah, and they've taken a new stance against this, haven't they? Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, has basically thrown his hands up now and gone, we're not locking down anymore. They're getting thousands and thousands of cases a day, but it's now time just to try and get on our on with our lives Ooh. and living with it. Yeah, it's Stephen. a hard. It's, it's a hard. Yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, the, the, all you ask is if you're going to go down that path that you 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 pray that it doesn't overload the health system. Now, I don't know what's happening in Australia at the moment. I don't know whether the system is being overloaded. 
but my understanding from talking to friends in Sydney, those that are overloading are unvaccinated. Mm. So what what do you expect, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's going to be worse for you if you're not vaccinated. But I'm um, letting it, yeah, just I mean, getting on with life. Well, I just, well, just remember, talking to Greg, we spoke to uh, Greg Alexander earlier, and he had said that he and the Guy family, of which he's uh, part of because they're through through marriage, they all got it. They all got, they, but they're not sure whether they got Omicron or Delta. But they've all, he had only just come out of isolation about three or four days ago. He'd got the letter saying, you're clear, you've had your negative test. And I, I look, I follow Mark Guy on socials just because, just because. Oh, he's awesome. Why wouldn't uh, he? Uh, because he's got his, I think his gym called MG Active and the things like that. And and they, uh, he was still at home. He still hadn't actually got out. So I think he was a little bit behind the eight ball on that one. But it's uh, people are, dare I say, living with it. But I think everybody is at this point of, you know, we're all COVID weary. Yeah. And, and it's becoming quite quite an issue to just to keep on going. Yeah, so. so they've still got two more test matches. England, unlucky. I don't think you're going to be allowed out early of Australia. You've still got to get through these next two matches. And, yeah. I, I mean, you love your cricket, don't you? You like your cricket. Yeah, I, mean, I love, love you, my cricket. Did Absolutely. You, did you honestly see this coming? Did you see a 3 because it's not as if they're an average team. Well, you get, or are they? You get sucked in by the Ashes. Um, like they go, it's the Ashes, you know. It's the two titans of world cricket going head to head. Oh. And you're just like, well, this is going to be a contest then because it's the Ashes. Yeah. But then you looked at England and all year we were talking about the England batting order outside of Joe Root. And none of them can score runs. Extras, sundries, is their third highest scorer last year. <laughs> Which is, tells you something about Hello, the batting Hello, I'm lineup. Sundries and I'm extras. How <laughs> yeah, are you? That's at, great. Batting at three and four. Batting yeah, at three and four is uh, Roger Sundries and <laughs> Derek Extras. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Classic English names. <laughs> and so if he's your third best batsman, then you don't have the batting order to compete with Australia yeah. in Australia where their pace attack is so good and Nathan Lyon is so reliable. So... Retrospect is a great thing, isn't it? Hindsight. Hindsight, yes, it is. I wanted it to be a contest, but I always thought this could happen. I didn't think 3-0. I didn't think 5-0. I thought maybe 3-1. I thought England could pick up a test, the pink ball test with Anderson and Broad Mm -hmm. being very good with the pink ball, but never happened. But they made mistakes, too. They made selection issues, right? And that's that's probably where the biggest talking point is, is that Silverwood has made some almighty gaffes, particularly in the second and third tests, right? Well, they didn't do enough in the third test to make up for what happened in the second test. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Joe Root with his captaincy straight away at the Gabba, the toss, straight away. What do you do? Everyone was saying it's a green top in in the Gabba. There'd been lots of rain around. Normally in Australia, you bat first and you bat big. But he won the toss, you know. And he, and he, well, he won the toss and he batted. He did won the toss and batted, but yeah. normally everyone was saying bowl. Everyone was saying bowl and they were 17 for three, 17 for four, and it was over before it had even begun. So Yeah, it's a lot made of it, but I, I, you, you wouldn't want to be the English, well, you wouldn't want to be the Australian cricket captain if you, if you do bad, as we know. But also, it's probably even yeah. worse in England, right? Because I think with the English cricket captaincy comes a complimentary Jaguar. A Jaguar, yeah. I was yeah. reading an article the other day, you get a Jag. Right. Uh, so, nice. he's, you know, but I think that, that's, that's all very snooty, really. Have a Jag. I say you're the English cricket captain. Joe, I've got a new Jag for you. Uh, sorry, it's an electric one, but that's okay. It's a little high pace, but we're okay with that. It's just a Jaguar. <laughs> but I, uh, you do you do question, I mean, the fact that he's now thinking about his captaincy mm. on the back of one series. Yeah. One series. Well, it's just been a bad year of test cricket for England. 
uh, outside of Joe Root scoring a million runs. Yeah. Um, um, but there's no one else to captain that side. You look through it, I think Ben Stokes has just come back into the team. And, he's he says, got, and he says he does today. He's got leadership to, credentials. Today he said he's not interested. Yeah, so they're going to revise it all at the end of the series. But yeah, I, I just think England were an average team. We wanted them to be better because we wanted the Ashes to be a contest. Mm. But England weren't better. Tell you what's pretty good, though, is that Big Bash League. That big bash league is absolutely. See what Colin Munro's doing for the Scorchers? So good. He, he is absolutely just going. Yeah. He's lit, as they say. They do. And the T20 World Cup this year, Stephen, is in Australia. And he missed out on the last one, Colin Munro, for us. We had problems with openers. Daryl Mitchell did a job there for New Zealand in the last tournament. So, but. so, okay. So, does he come back into the frame? Oh, he's got to. He's got to of his experience in Australian conditions and scoring runs in a problematic position for New Zealand. The only reason why he's not is because he turned his back on a contract and said, I want to make my money playing T20 cricket. And New Zealand cricket's like, we don't want to select a mercenary. Well, select one if he's going to make you win tournaments. Absolutely select him. I don't oh, okay. see why you don't. Okay, so that I was that was the I was trying to figure that out. Yeah. Oh, so he said, "Nah, thanks. I'm, I can make more money doing this." It was probably a piddly contract. That's probably why I wanted exactly. to do it. Exactly, it's probably twentieth on the list, um, yeah. which is worth okay. what sixty k or something I, like I that. Have, probably, I have no idea. But yeah. So oh, that's well, that will be an interesting one to watch because there'll be an outcry from you. I mean, you'll poke the bear again. I'll poke yes, the bear again, will. and, and of course, yeah. where's Colin Munro? Yeah, that is really interesting. All right, it's twelve twenty, so no Nicholas Holt. By no. the way, speaking of Nicholas Holt, have you seen this? series The Great. I have not. Okay, it's on uh, Sky Go. It's on Neon, Sky Go. Nice. Nicholas Holt and Al Fanning. You've got to watch it. It's up to series two. The Great? Alexander the, called, the Great? No, no, it's called The Great, and it's uh, he is the Russian czar, but then he gets toppled by his, his new wife, and the the setting, it's quite rude, it's quite bawdy, and the script is absolutely brilliant, and Nicholas Holt and Al Fanning are masters at what they're doing. You've got to watch it. It is absolutely outstanding. Okay. That's why we thought I was going to ask Nick Holt whether or not he'd watched it, but obviously he didn't want to talk We've got to a it. wicket. We've got a wicket. New Zealand's got a wicket today. Got, got a wicket. That's good. Tim Southey has Tim taken Tim Southey's a got a wicket. He's brought up his century, uh, Tim Southey as well. Uh, he's conceded 100 runs bowling, but he has also <laughs> got a wicket. So 445 for seven Bangladesh now, that lead 117. I'm not convinced. I'm, mm. I think this pit is out. Peter's out to a draw, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think if we check the TAB odds... They'll probably say that as well, Stephen. And if you are checking the TAB odds, remember to gamble responsibly. It's R18. It's 12.21. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. 12.26. We actually have tracked down Nick Holt, the Chief Cricket Correspondent for The Telegraph. We actually, I don't mind being put off when you have to talk to Pat Cummins, uh, Nick, so that's, that's okay. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, thanks. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's fine. Uh, you're probably sick and tired of asking the answering the same old questions, but where to now for for England in this Ashes series, mate? They're playing for pride, but they're also playing for their futures, quite a few of them. Um, there's no such thing as a dead rubber, really. Um, there are guys who uh, have got their careers on the line, and if England suffer a similar defeat to the one they did in Melbourne, then... I suspect some of them won't play for England again. Uh, so there is quite a lot of stake for individuals. And also it's a chance to start the rebuilding process. It's going to be very hard. I don't think Australia are going to take their foot off their throat. So it's going to be very difficult. Don't really expect England to win, but you just want to see somebody score 100 or 
take a five for just stay in the contest for more than uh, more than one or two sessions. Does the blame for this performance lie solely on the shoulders of the coach or the captain or both, or is it a collective blame? Oh, I think it's a collective blame. I think that they both agree. That they've both been party to all the decisions that have been made. The poor selection in Brisbane, which really was the start of it all, but also. They've had problems with preparation due to COVID restrictions and all of those sort of things. And if you come to Australia underprepared, then you get behind, you fall behind very quickly, and it's very difficult to very difficult to fight your way back in again. But um, the, the coach and the captain have made some, some some poor calls over the last few weeks and the last few months, and it's caught up with them here. Okay, so I was going to ask you the question about Joe Root, who's now reconsidering his captaincy after the Hobart Test. Should he be reconsidering it? Yes, I think he has to. I think the next two test matches will probably determine whether he carries on. The one thing I think that's making him think that he will carry on is that it's not affected his batting. He had his best ever year last year. Yeah. Uh, well, year just just finished, and I think if his batting had declined, then I think he would have resigned. So we'll see how he goes in these two tests. If he, if he has four low scores, then he might think he's had enough. Um, the problem he would have is a lack of candidates to replace him. Well, the biggest concern with the English uh, team. Uh, surely, Nicholas, is that the the third most runs scored by England in 2021 were extras, you know, Derek extras. Yeah, well, you can always rely on extras. They're always there, <laughs> aren't they? I mean, that's, uh, you know. but the, the thing is, that actually, even extras had a bad year last year. It was lower than the year before. So, uh, so, we, so they can't even rely on extras. But, uh, yeah, you make a good point. They've chopped and changed their batsmen. Nobody has really, nobody has shown any consistency. And that is the biggest worry for England. Well, what, what is the other part of the worrying you talk about maybe a need to rebuild? Is there not enough talent in county cricket? There's plenty of talent in county cricket. I think the problem with county cricket is the pitches are not particularly very good. Um, the county championship is scheduled at the start and at the end of the season. Uh, so at the start of the season, obviously, you have problems with the weather. The back end of the season is September. The pitches are tired. The players are tired. So the quality diminishes. Uh, so championship cricket just needs a little bit better scheduling. Um, a little bit of bit, some better pitches. They may start looking at using the Kookaburra ball instead of the Duke ball, which obviously swings a lot more and, and makes it easier for, for, for bowlers uh, to take wickets, which obviously doesn't always translate to test level where the pitches are flatter um, and it's harder. So there are many sort of systemic issues in, in, in English cricket that need, that need looking at. And if this series does end as badly as it started, uh, then I would think they have to look at those things. It might be a good thing in the long run. Yeah. How hard is this to report on as a journalist? Uh, well, as a journalist, you always want the changing narrative, don't you? You always want a different story every single yeah. time. And at the moment, it's the same old story. So, uh, so it's challenging... Uh, from that point of view, and it's sad to see. I mean, Joe Root is a he's a he's a, he's a lovely guy. I mean, everybody wants him to succeed. He, he's got uh, he's, he's a great player, and 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 he does have a lot of good talents as captain, particularly man management wise. But uh, but yeah, you just want you just want a different story. You want to see him put up a bit of a fight. Um, and um, it's the opposite to covering the Australians in the 90s and 2000s. It must have got boring. It must have got boring watching all the, them winning all the time. Well, it's sort of boring watching them losing all the time. Oh, well, I'm sure your interview with Pat Cummins was a ripper and it was something to, joyous to write about. Well, yeah, I, I think, uh, I'm not sure when I'll use it, but yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, no, it's a... Uh, 
he's um, he's a different Australian captain. He's, he's yeah. very similar to Joe, actually. I mean, he seems a very sort of level, modest kind of guy, quiet guy. We're used to Steve War, Alan Border type figures in your faces and trying to smash the palms at every every turn. He doesn't seem to be like that at the moment, but then again, he hasn't had to be because England have been so poor. So <laughs> they, they, they don't even have to bother sledging England to win at the moment. Uh, so um, that's probably the greatest insult for them. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate you giving us uh, the, the time today. Uh, the best of luck. I know it's going to be a hard one, but uh, uh, go well and stay safe over there, mate. Well, I've actually been diagnosed with COVID, so I've already missed that one. So I'm, I'm actually in isolation at the moment. So, uh, so I, uh, so yeah. You feeling okay? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> have you got the Omicron variant? Have you? Or yeah, I had a really bad sore throat for a couple of days, but it's it's sort of lifted now, and I'm just just waiting my days out until I can I can emerge back into into the world. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's very very prevalent in Sydney and Melbourne. So. I managed to avoid it in the UK for 18 months and caught it here, which is a bit annoying. But, uh, oh, well, but, at, least yeah. you, at least you're fittish and healthy. Nick Holt, thanks for your time, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. There's uh, Nick Holt, the chief cricket correspondent for the Telegraph. So there you go. He's got the Omicron variant and he says sore, sore throat and he sounds uh, quite chipper. All right, it's 12.32 and Johnny's just sashayed into the studio. Days, uh, Margot. Look, I, I want to take you back a long, long time ago. You were four years old. You were thrown off a bungee platform. Uh, do you remember that? <laughs> Hello, how are you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess, yeah, I was four years old. Um, it was in Bali, Indonesia, and it was my first bungee jump. I was. Um, there's actually a photo of me with my dad on the jump deck, and it actually looks like I'm naked because I'm only wearing um, uh, like a bikini bottom. <laughs> so with the harness, you can like you can only see the harness. So I'm just this little girl with curly hair holding on to my dad. <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty funny moment. Um, but yeah, I had a great time, and um, yeah, here we are today. Um, like nearly 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, they say moments like that can have quite an impression on young children. Did that have an impression on you? I would definitely say so. Um, it was probably like the first like real crazy thing that I ever did that had like that big adrenaline rush um, that I get with skiing as well. Your dad, your dad, AJ, says you're more radical than he is. No, he's pretty radical, but when he says that, what's he referring to? Uh, I mean, I think for him, everything's like a lot more calculated and like more safe in a way. Because um, there's a lot of like science behind bungee jumping and the way you, you uh, calculate it all for it hmm. to happen in the best way possible. And I guess um, for us skiers, it is calculated, most of it, but, I mean, there's always the element of risk because, I mean, you might, I don't know, something happens and you get distracted and then um, you still have to land on your two feet and sometimes you don't. So, yeah, and I guess you're landing on, on snow, which is usually pretty hard surface uh, at a high speed from a pretty um, uh, big height. So, yeah, I guess it's different, but has a lot of similarities. At, at what age, Margot, did you decide that, that just ski racing wasn't for you and you needed to go free skiing? Uh, I was about 10 years old or 11. 
and I'd been ski racing at my local ski club in um, a little village called Manigo in France. It's close to um, La Cousa. I don't know if you've heard about that ski area. Um, but yeah, I grew up there. Um, and yeah, beautiful mountains. But unfortunately, ski racing wasn't that fun. Well, the only fun bit was like all the friends that I made. Uh, but the coaches were a bit um, a bit too serious for me. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted a bit more fun. And then I went and tried out the freestyle club um, next door, which was Zakuza. And I had so much fun and uh, met a bunch more friends there. And, and yeah, that was the start of it. When you go free skiing in France, do you suddenly get frowned upon by the, the traditionalists of the standard skiers? Uh, I guess so, a little bit, but not not too much because we, like, France has a lot of amazing free skiers, uh, so we're quite well known for that side of things. Um, but I think I guess I get most round upon because I chose New Zealand and not France, so they're kind of like, oh, you traitor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that, that that's horrible. Now look, tell me about the inspiration to do the Olympics and going to Sochi with Dad. Yeah, um, so I guess Lakus are, like, there's so many, as I said, there's amazing skiers. And so when I first started, we knew that the Sochi Olympics were going to happen. So it was already something that was kind of in my mind. And then I had the chance to um, go to Sochi with Dad because he opened a bungee site there. And um, so we went there together and I, I was able to go and watch the Olympics for the first time. And that's when... Um, slope style was introduced to the Olympics um, and it was yeah, a pretty amazing moment being there and watching everyone throw down and I kind of looked at the level of skiing at that time and thought that I could like with working hard I'd be able to achieve that How hard was it to, to have to come back from just missing out on Pyeongchang? Uh, it was definitely hard at the start um, but then I think it motivated me even more to uh, to work harder, and um, and now here we are. I managed to um, qualify a little bit earlier than everyone else, um, which is pretty special to me because obviously, yeah, I missed out on last one. Uh, so yeah, for me, it was real important to do well, uh, well before the Olympics this time. And um, yes, I'm super stoked. Margot, for those that don't understand the qualification, is it simply just uh, going into events and placing as high as you can to qualify? Yeah, basically. I won't go into all the details, but you have to do really well um, and, yeah, place as high as possible and then that's when you're, I guess, seen as safe uh, to have qualified. Yeah. So where are your confidence levels going into... Uh, I mean, it's it's a month today. It's a month today, the opening ceremony in Beijing. Where are your confidence levels? Well, yeah, it's coming up fast, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> um, I'm feeling pretty confident. Um, I guess, like, quite relaxed for now. Like, I'm sure I'll, I'll get some nerves when I'm, like, like, on the flight or something on my way to Beijing. Um, but, yeah, feeling pretty good. Um, my, I'm healthy and I'm excited. And yeah, like everything, everything feels good right now and positive. So I spoke to Nico Porteous a little while back, and he wouldn't tell me anything about new tricks. Do you have anything up your sleeve? Um, I mean, I'm working on it. 
So, well, I guess we'll just have to find out. (laughs) (laughs) How how long does it take to perfect a new trick in your sport? Uh, Definitely a while, but sometimes, sometimes things also just click and it doesn't take that long. And some other tricks, it'll take you like over a year. Um, so yeah, it really depends. Some come natu- like more naturally than others. Yeah. So for those of us that are going to be watching this on Prime and Sky Sport here in New Zealand, who are the big guns that you have to beat to try and medal? Um, I think there's going to be quite a few. But um, so far, in my mind, um, all the Swiss girls are definitely pretty high up there. Uh, Matilde Grimaud, Sarah Hoffland, they already have uh, Olympic medals from the last Olympics. And then um, Julia Tano had just missed out she, from like an injury, but she's doing really well this year. And then Eileen Gu, you've probably heard of her. Mm-hmm. She's been absolutely killing it in all the disciplines. Even in half pipe, she's competing in three different t- disciplines. So um, she's definitely one to watch. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of exciting peers and it should be a good show. Uh, the family going to be there at uh, Beijing? Uh, unfortunately not. Spectators aren't allowed to come to Beijing. So they're actually um, all going to be in France at that time and they'll all be watching from home. Um, yeah, hopefully with some of our neighbours, get um, the village involved and yeah. Yeah, everyone excited. Well, exciting times for you, Margo. Congratulations on making the Olympic team. We wish you the best of luck. And uh, go go do that new trick that you won't tell us about. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. Talk soon. That is Margo Hackett, daughter of AJ Hackett. Yes, the creator of the bungee. To think that she, was thro- that she vividly remembers being thrown off a bungee in Bali at four years of age. Four, as she to this day is still the youngest ever female bungee jumper at four years of age. I mean, that is just bonkers to say the least. But the fact that she is now an Olympian and going to her first Olympics is pretty exciting. I, I love the fact that the French were pretty upset that she wasn't going to represent France. So she, I think she has dual nationalities. Her mum's French and that she wants to, as she said, represent Aotearoa at the Beijing Winter Olympics, which are a month away today. Uh, 4th of Feb is the opening ceremony in Beijing. And she's just another free skier. See, I mean, we still haven't fully completed the team. Uh, we spoke to Ben Harrington yesterday, who'd finished in Calgary 7th, his highest ever placing, and he was uh, pumped that he might just, he said he needed to be in the top 24 uh, to qualify for the Games. Uh, another free skier. Of course, free skiers for Africa, haven't we? Uh, but that he was actually quite keen to think that he might be close. But when you look back at the records and, and what Margot has done, she is well in the hunt. She's uh, she's you know she's regular top ten in that discipline. So anything can happen on any day. It's that old any given day, any given thought, or something like that. So Margot Hackett, watch out for her with the New Zealand team at Beijing. 2022. Just a little thought for you, by the way. After one o'clock, Isaac Luke has just tweeted. This is a really good uh, subject to talk about too, because you don't really get these hitters anymore because they're not allowed to hit. Well, 
you know. Uh, Isaac Lucas tweeted his top 10 hitters of all time. Top 10 hitters of all time. The, the guys that, I don't know who the last one is, I have to have looked that one up. Uh, but we're going to have a little chat. If, if you've got some thoughts about your top 10 hitters in rugby league, then feel free to call us on 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. Don't forget, after 1 o'clock, we're going to talk to the guru of Speedway. That is Michael Pickens with the big midget 50 lapper coming your way uh, tonight at Lucas Oil Western Springs Speedway. And also, we're going to have a bit of fun, Johnny and I. We're going to have our Mount Rushmore top four sports movies. When he said to me this morning, I went, oh gosh, can't think. And then we started going through things. went, oh yeah, oh, oh okay, oh yeah. Yeah. And and it was quite interesting to think that you, you quickly forget some of the movies that have popped up. Absolutely, because it's that time of year, you know, you've had your big parties at New Year's or you've gone to bed early, depending on whatever you've done. I and, went to bed early. And... You know, it's time to watch movies, some of your favourites. I, I think I'm going to have to, one of those ones I'm going to have to find again and uh, look at, but I won't reveal it now. All right, this is SENZ Summer Days. It's 12.47. Great Kiwis building up other great Kiwis. SENZ, there's a new team in town. It's Kiwi for Sport. 12.52, just a quick update on the test in Mount Monganui Bay Oval with Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Uh, Bangladesh, all out 458. All out 458. Saudi took two wickets, Bolt took four, and of course Wagner took uh, three. So New Zealand are back into bat. The, they trail Bangladesh by 130 runs. So what do you reckon, John? 130 runs? You know, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, that takes a session and a half to knock off. So midway through, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the yeah. start of the last session today, it'll be about even. So you'd hopefully only be one or two wickets down, and then by the end of the day, maybe a hundred ahead. Okay, so what you're thinking is. Try and have a crack at an achievable, defendable target, and then put them back in a bit. So declare. I, I, are you? I, would you do that? Would you attempt to do that? Or is that just? Oh, would you just set us be settled for the draw? No way. No, no. I think you, we try and put a total on, um, and tomorrow on the last day, try and declare with maybe a session and a half, and try and bowl them out in a session and a half. But from what we've seen. That's not going to be. That's not going to be. No, nah, that's probably not going to happen. That's not going to happen because of the way the wicket is not doing anything for the seam attack, even though it's come to play in the latter part of the Bangladeshi first innings. So, just a reminder: Bangladesh four hundred and fifty-eight all out. New Zealand three hundred and twenty-eight in their first innings. The lead for Bangladesh as New Zealand start their second innings is one hundred and thirty runs. That's one hundred and thirty runs. Brought to you by Rosine, who are celebrating seventy-five years of. Of Kiwi paint and colour. Uh, just a quick note too, uh, if you are following the NBA, of which there's plenty uh, and, and the whole COVID, not COVID thing, uh, Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving is going to make his debut on Thursday. That's right, a season debut against the Indiana Pacers in Indianapolis because they don't have as strict COVID protocols that they do in New York, where in New York you've got to actually be vaccine to play. So he's expected to compete on most of the road contests, except against the Knicks and also the Raptors because of their uh, Ontario regulations. MVP favourite Kevin Durant, his teammates, said the Nets have held their own without Irving. They take the second best record in the Eastern Conference in two today's game against the Memphis Grizzlies, which is uh, Stephen... Stephen uh, Oh, what's his name? Adams. Stephen oh, Adams yeah, team. Yeah. No, that's his new team, the Memphis yeah, Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're 23 and 11, so that'll be... 
that'll be really interesting. All right, it's 12.54. So at one o'clock, we're going to talk about the top 10 hitters, rugby league hitters of all time, on the back of Isaac Luke tweeting his top 10. A couple of quick texts. And uh, Stephen, I always thought Nigel Vungana was pound for pound one of the heaviest hitters to play the game. You know what, Cookie, I'll go with you on that one. But these two that have come in from Simon, how could you not include them? They're a bit of a hark back to the old boys, but Trevor the Axe Gilmeister and David Cement Gillespie. Now, they're probably their styles probably wouldn't be allowed nowadays, but I tell you what, in the good old days, in the good old days of rugby league, those boys knew how to put people on their back. But I love the Nigel Vungana one because he could hit. He had, Nigel had great timing, really good and, and wonderful feet to watch. So he, he, was a, he was a goodie. And he's also one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet, Nigel Vungana. What is Isaac Luke's top 10? You'll be, you won't be surprised, and you might be surprised with number 10, but it's a goodie. All right, news is next. App or SEN app in Australia. Wherever you are listening, welcome in. It is Tuesday, the 4th of January. That's right, the 4th of January 2022. And it's another day of intrigue at the Somerset National Bowls Championships in Christchurch, where we go with Kevin Hicklin. And Hickers, uh, you, you mentioned yesterday there was some concern over Andrew Kelly, the defending singles champion. He's gone. He's gone, yes. He's departed. Uh, failed to qualify, did he? Big surprise, Andrew Kelly, of course, on his you know, the home province, Canterbury, but uh, not to be. And we've just seen now in the men's singles one of the first upsets, that I would say, that New Zealand squad member Sheldon Bagley-Harley of Gore up against Gary Stubbs of Oxford down here in Canterbury. We saw Sheldon Bagley-Harley out to a 13-5 lead, yeah. then out to a 17-10 uh, lead, but uh, not to be. Wow. And he scored one more shot after that, and Gary Stubbs of Oxford came rattling home with a, a one, a three, a three, a one and a three to defeat uh, Sheldon Bagley Harley by 21 shots to 18. Were you close to that green, buddy? Yes. What, what, what happened to Bagley, what happened to Bagley Harley? Well, he just uh, seemed to lose his direction, played a lot of short bowls, um, and was, you know, it's the old story, then you're trying to get to recoveries and uh, you, you, you just. Goes through a bad patch of it. And I also saw it this morning, the women's peers as well. Out at, uh, uh, we were at a beautiful spot at some absolutely delightful spot out by the beach. Then we saw another case, exactly the same. And where we saw uh, Debbie White and Gail Melrose up against Taylor Bruce and Claire Hendra. And it was the uh, Melrose and White combination who were leading 10-0 and finished up getting beaten by about five or six shots by Claire Hendra and Taylor Bruce, of course, runner-up in the piers two years ago. And all that happened was that they changed the length of the head and the uh, Taylor Bruce and Claire Hendra side got onto it quicker. Same thing here with uh, Sheldon Bagley-Howley. Couldn't adapt. And look, to be fair, Stephen, no one can complain about the greens or the conditions down here. Absolutely perfect conditions on that Burnside now upstairs looking out. There's just just a zephyr of a breeze, and the greens are absolutely uh, magnificent in their presentation. So, um, but no excuses. Um, you know, you, you're beaten by better players. Then we saw Seamus Curtin at Bagley Howley's uh, mate of the New Zealand squad. He had a win over Matt Pearson of the Manor two by 21 shots to three. The other first round winners, the defending champion, Mike Galloway, uh, he won his first game this morning, as did Nathan Gooden of Ocado, Richard Hocking of Canterbury, Peter Shaw.
Shane, of course, who won the pairs, on, won the singles on two other occasions. Peter Shane won his first this morning, as did Tony Grantham. Finbar McWiggan of Stokes Valley, uh, one of the up-and-coming young players. Dan Dickinson of Bayer Plenty, who's in the New Zealand squad in a big game at present. He's up against Sean Scott. Uh, Craig Merrilies of uh, Southland, Raymond Martin of Wellington. Hamish Wilson now, he's up against of the home club here in Burnside. He's up against Gary Wilson. Uh-huh. Kelvin Scott, another another former winner, playing Taylor Horn, another winner of two years ago. And as I say, Mike Galloway, he's won his way through. And at completion of play today, uh, we'll be down to the last eight in the men's singles. And I can tell you now, now, in the, in the women's pairs, the defending champion, uh, Lisa Bordeaux and uh, Val Smith, they had a, uh, they had a, I happen to see most of their game, they had a pretty tough game, really, uh, against former New Zealand player uh, Jan, Jan Peters, and uh, playing playing with, with, uh, with well, well, in fact, Jan Shirley is famous, Tania Woodham of the Elmwood Park Club, and Prado and, and White winning out, running out the winners. The other big turnaround also out there was the North Harbour side of uh, uh, Dixon, uh, Lisa Dixon and Anne Doreen. They were up against Dale Rayner and Karen Gilford of Johnsonville and Wellington. And Dixon and Doreen were leading 10 or 11 nil they were leading. Uh, and... Uh, uh, they lost that lead, and Rayner went on to win by 19 shots to 18. And right now, uh, Dale Rayner and Karen Guilford are playing Val Smith and Lisa Prado. Of the leading combination, Sandra Keith won her game. She's playing Robin Walker of North Harbour right now. Pam Walker and Linda Bennett are playing out in front of us now. They're playing Lin- Linda O'Callaghan and Christine Buchanan. Mandy Boyd, really big game this uh, at Burnside number 2, Green where we've got the Boyd sisters, the uh, Mandy Boyd, who were just having a look through the records, note as, as one of recent times, the leader of about what, seven New Zealand titles she's won, and uh, playing against Amy McElroy and Selena Goddard. Now, interesting, in 2014 at the Commonwealth Games, uh, Mandy Boyd was skipping the side of Amy McElroy and Selena Goddard was in the side when they won the bronze medal in the fours, and here they are now playing one another uh, out here at Burnside. Natasha Grimshaw is also here playing former New Zealand development playing Minna Paul of Rotorua, Claire Hendra and, and Taylor Bruce. They're playing against Nicole Toomey. Of course, who won the singles last year. Nicole Toomey and Mary Ann Wilson. Bell Smith and Lisa Bredow, the defending champions, are playing Dale Rayner and Karen Guilford. Thora Reid and Mary Riddell are playing the mother and daughter combination of the Burnside Club here in Christchurch. Kirsten Rowe and Emily Miller. And the uh, the Farley combination, Chelsea Farley and Tessa Farley of the Belmoral Bowling Club in Auckland are playing Barbara and McGregor. Now, interesting about the Farleys, uh, uh, Stephen, these two girls represented New Zealand in curling. So um, here they are. Just a going. little bit different, Kevin. A little bit warmer. A bit warmer. A bit warmer. So in the women's pairs, uh, we'll be down to the semi forward down to the last four tonight. Uh, we have the semi-finalists will be found in the women's pairs, and tomorrow morning here at Burnside, we'll be cu- we'll be carrying the women's semi and uh, in the in the women's final immediately after that. So, getting down to the real nitty-gritty, the results are uh, working their way here in into Burnside, and uh, we'll have uh, more upsets, no doubt, throughout the day. And these perfect conditions that we've got down here in Christchurch at present, no threat of any weather change at this point in time. Uh, in the mid-20s, the temperature will be at present. 
and very little wind. So absolutely fantastic conditions here uh, at uh, at the Greens of Christchurch. Perfect, Kevy. Appreciate that update. Thank you, mate. Kevin Hickland, uh, the Somerset National Bowls Championships. Uh, just, well, upset uh, yesterday and uh, lots happening. Uh, short, short, shorter heads. Yep, doesn't help at all. Sound like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, Ten minutes past one here on SENZ Summer Days. And tonight it's the Big 50 Lapper and the Midgets at uh, Lucas Oil Western Springs Speedway. And the man to watch is, uh, you could you could throw out the cliche, the goat of speedway in this country, and Michael Pickens, who joins us right now. Mate, are you ready to go? Yeah, we certainly are. Um, long couple of days, um, during the Midget and the Sprint Car Round, we had a a little bit of chassis damage to the sprint car after um, 1st of January, so the boys have been yeah, flat stick the last um, last couple of days and nights, actually. So we just fired that off, and uh, we're good to go. So tonight is the midgets, uh, but you're not racing the sprint car, so it's just a full concentration on the 50-lapper tonight. Um, no, we'll run the sprint car too. Um, we've got to make it hard for myself. <laughs> 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 so now we'll run both, and um, we've done it over the last couple of years, and um, you know, as long as everything goes right, then it's, um, it's, it's not much of a big deal. But um, we've got two awesome crew guys, two sets of crews, and um, two awesome crew chiefs that I don't have to worry about the cars too much. So um, yeah, usually it's pretty, pretty plain sailing. Michael, for those that don't understand, the difference between the sprint car and the midget car is quite dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, they are. They're quite different cars. One with, with the sprint car, obviously, you've got a lot of aerodynamics with the, with the two big wings they run, the front and top wing. Uh, a lot more horsepower uh, than the midget, um, so that they they drive a, a lot different. But um, I guess it's like anything; you get you get used to it over time. And swapping between the two is hard at, at first, but um, yeah, you, you do get used to it after a while. And to be honest, it's, it's, I find it sometimes an advantage because you're on the track more often during the night. So um, you just got to get your fitness level to a point where it um, where it just doesn't wreck you. Is it disappointing that we can't have international drivers this summer? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, you know, it really boosts our sport down here in general, and I guess it it really opens people's eyes of how good our local guys are when the professional guys come down and, and we can um, put it to them, you know. And um, we get a, a lot of exposure from overseas with people watching um, watching their guys come down under here, and, and um, it's something we really miss, but um, something we're looking forward to in the future. Well, I just remember when Tony Stewart came out and Kyle Larson came out, and you hang on a minute, uh, Kyle Larson's your, your current NASCAR champion. It, it says a lot about what the Springs offers as a product, doesn't it? It certainly does, and, um, you know, I think people probably realise um, how tough Western Springs is, um, not only as, as a racetrack, but, but um, you know, you, you go run a midget or a sprint car or, or Tiki or anything for that matter at Western Springs, and... Um, and you know, if you can win a race, you you, you really are doing something, and um, that puts it in perspective when the American guys come down here, and and Australian guys for that matter. I mean, Australian guys come over here, and um, to be honest, if you usually struggle, there's been a few guys in the past that have um, had success, but um, uh, obviously nothing like the American guys, and it, and it really puts things into perspective when they when they come here and struggle. So it's um, it's a challenging place. What's been your secret sauce for your success? Um. I guess just determination and having the right people around me. Um, that's really, really important and um, hugely um, underestimated. Uh, you have to have the right people around you. And, and I've been fortunate enough for the majority of my career, I've had really great people and, and good advice and um, good gear underneath me with different car owners. So um, I think that's, um, 
big part of it. I think we need to put it in perspective because people look at it as, as a summer sport, which it primarily is, and, and they don't look at it with, with large numbers. But to put a sprint car together, what sort of numbers are we talking? Or, yeah, sprint car. Well, financially, yeah. um, financially, I mean, you could build a, a you know a brand new car would be um, somewhere in the region of one hundred and fifty thousand. Um, that would be a brand new motor, brand new everything. Um, and to put a brand new midget together um, is, is probably a tick more, uh, maybe another twenty or thirty thousand more. How how um, is how is that? Because the sprint car is so much more powerful, and you know the more aero. Why is that? Um, well, that's to be honest. That's part of the reason the sprint car class has has bigger numbers and, and is growing more because it's more cost effective. Um, because they're raced a lot more overseas, um, the parts are more readily available at a, at a at a better price because they make more of them. Um, and the same goes for the engines. I mean, you've got twice the amount of pistons, rods, valves, everything inside the motor, and, and yet they're actually a cheaper product. So. Um, it's just a numbers game. They're much, much bigger overseas, more of them, so that brings the price down. Um, and and to be honest, I mean, you know, a lot of people just, they love V8s and, and um, you know, we get decent crowds for them, but midgets also offer um, awesome racing, you know what I mean? You, you cannot beat a, a good midget race. It's um, something, something to see. So, how, do you, um, how do you win a 50 lapper, Michael? Oh, God, I, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. But, <laughs> <laughs> It takes a long. It takes a long time, I guess, to to um, I guess to be able to understand that it's only one on the last lap. You know, you've really got to um, you know just sit back and and um, and when I say cruise, I'm, I mean you know you're probably driving at eighty percent and looking after the tyres and, and everything else, and basically just keeping the car underneath you without wrecking it. Um, and then you've got to, I guess, put yourself in a position where you can start um, you know start attacking the last sort of five ten laps because that's that's like I said, the race is won on the last lap, and um, mentally you just you, you learn over time that, um, that that you know that that's where it's all at, and um, not to overdo it at the start. Where does your biggest challenge come from tonight? Um, I mean, Brad Mosen and Hayden Williams; those guys um, have have been on great form lately, with and with Hayden going overseas racing in our winter. So um, those two would be. Um, you know, the, the closest challenge is also um, Brock Maskovich and Matt Schoolford won a race the other night. Um, so there's, you know, there's a half a dozen um, really good guys there. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it's all done on that last lap and that's what makes this race so special. What's it like being back at the Springs? How important is it to be back at the Springs and feel normal? Um, to have a crowd back at Western Springs, I mean, it's, um, yes, yeah, like no other. And, and uh, I think we all take it for granted. Um, and until it isn't there, and, and racing without a crowd a couple of weeks back was um, really bizarre and, and absolutely not not the same at all. And I've raced um, all over the world, and, and Western Springs is um, without a doubt like no other. You know, the atmosphere there is absolutely electric, and um, yeah, it's like a and like I've got a natural atmosphere to feel about it. So um, it's it's pretty cool to be back there with a the crowd for sure. So what's next, Michael? How long do you keep doing this? You've, we, we discussed this before. You've been doing, what, close to 25 years in the senior class. I mean, is there anything that you haven't achieved in this game? Um, I guess um, Chili Bowl in America is, is a race I'd love to win. It's um, super tough now with um, 360, 370-odd cars into the event. So that's a tough deal, and that's one that's definitely on my bucket list. But as far as New Zealand goes, um, I'm just enjoying my racing more than ever now. Um, um, me and my wife Dallas, we own the midget, and we have a lovely couple, Ron and Jackie Geek, who own our Toyota midget engine, 
and a sprint car driver for a gentleman, Warwick McKenzie. And it's just a really neat group, but, um, really neat bunch yeah. of people. And it's enjoyable, which I've always said, if, if you don't enjoy it, you shouldn't do it. So um, as, so long as I can still win races and enjoy it, I'll keep going. Are you seeing a growth in the game, or has the COVID put a, a bit of a stop to that? No, I, th- I think, um, you know, people that are into racing will be into racing no matter what, and they'll probably keep racing until they're down to their last dollar. That's generally yeah. how, how racing has been over the years. And, um, I mean, sure, it's, it's probably had a, a few people, but um, some people, to be honest, have, have um, benefited from it and and a weird way but um, and as far as racing goes I mean the midget numbers have probably stayed about the same sprint car numbers have, been, have increased dramatically so um, and and all, all average I guess it's actually gotten bigger since last season I think the key to, to Speedway is, is the family atmosphere right being able to make it accessible to the kids it certainly is and it's, it's one of the last Speedways around in the world actually and that even within New Zealand that you can actually um, you know walk your 12 year old kid through the pits and have them um, sit in a car or, or you know essentially do whatever they want and, and that's really unique and um, really special about Western Spring. Alright mate well the best of luck thanks for joining us on SENZ today and uh, best of luck in the 50 lapper tonight. Yeah thank you appreciate it and we'll be uh, going for that win and that'll be um, if we can win tonight it'll be I think my 10th my 50 lapper 9th or 10th 50 lapper so that'll be um, pretty special. Michael Pickens, yeah, he is the guru of Western Springs Speedway. Interesting to note that uh, even after 50 laps, he says you only worry about the last lap, as long as you haven't crashed out. So, Michael, and and that what I found fascinating was it was actually cheaper to run uh, sprint cars than midgets. The midgets were the more expensive car to produce, but it's a whole heap of fun. Western Springs Speedway, I think gates open at four. First race about six, and there's saloons as well, featuring Steve Williams, the former caddy of Tiger Woods, who's always been for many many years a big super saloon racer based out in Kumiu, and he was racing at Bay Park the other day. So there's a lot to look forward to if you want a family night out, and it is, I'm told, a family night out. Lucas Oil Western. Spring Speedway is the place to be. It's 1.20. Coming next, we're going to talk about the top 10 hitters in rugby league. Summer days on SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. 1.25. Today, Isaac Luke on his Twitter handle, which is at Isaac, I-S-S-A-C, Luke underscore 14, has put down his top 10 hitters of all time. And it's a pretty handy list, John Day. Uh, his number one is Ben Mutalino. Benny Mutz, number ben, one. Benny Mutalino, who should never have left the Warriors, but he did and went to the Tigers and got injured, and that was the rest of his yeah, career, I which think. is a real shame. One of the nicest guys, but... He could, could hit. He yeah. could He could play ball. Yeah. Right? So he's number one. He's number one. No, who, number two, uh, this is an interesting one, but Sam Burgess... As a heavy hitter. As one of the biggest hitters. No, he just says top 10 hitters of all time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Brian's giving him credit. Brian's giving him yeah, credit. Isaac Luke is teammates as well, so that's why he's probably been bumped up the order. I wouldn't have him number two. Are these ranked, do you yeah, he's think? Got them ranked. He's got them ranked. So at number three, he's got SBW. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, hang on a wow. minute. But, but it, just, just one moment. The way SBW hit would not be allowed anymore in rugby league. Oh, if, no. If you remember, he was a great exponent of the shoulder. Shoulder charge, yeah. yeah. Okay. So these are like, we're, yeah, but at the time... <laughs> Perfect. And I'd have him above Sam Burgess, and he's definitely a top 10. Well, I'm telling you the one that should be above them all is at number four. 
Steve Matai. Oh, the hitman. He should be number one. You know, he? I'm telling you, even I'm not, even though I know you're ridiculously a, a manly fan because you're wearing your manly shirt, mm. but he could hit. Because the one thing about Steve Matai was that he hit low and hard. So he was uh, he was right in the centre. He would just rip your guts out, right? Yep. Not that I know that and I wouldn't want to be on the end of it, but, man, he could hit. It cost him, though, in the end. When you think about the shoulder issues he had. Yeah, so many reconstructions. He just swapped shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if, if you've got a spare five minutes, YouTube Steve Maddie best hits, and it's the best thing you'll watch <laughs> all just, summer. Or just go into John Day's Twitter feed and look at all the, <laughs> the highlights of Steve Maddie. Yeah. Uh Dylan Napper. I thought this was an interesting one. He's got Napper at five. I'm okay. wondering whether these are the guys that have hit him. Yeah, you're probably right there. Because it, because Isaac could hit, he could hit pretty well as well. Dylan Napa was a bit of a flash in the pan, wasn't he? Well, he's off. He's gone to Super League now, huh? Yeah, off to uh, the graveyard. Yeah, did well. Didn't didn't work out at. I think he's at Catalan, isn't he? Because didn't work out at my my mighty dogs. Yeah. Uh, this one I needs to be higher. That's James Fisher Harris. He needs to be way higher than where he is at number six on on his list because I think James Fisher Harris is what you would determine in the modern game old school. Alpha male. Yeah. Can't wait to see him back in a Kiwis jersey. Oh, man. It's been too long. It'd be nice to see the Kiwis just play it all. I don't even we don't, we think we might get a mid-season test in Australia this year. During origin, hopefully. Yeah, I was. T- we were talking to Greg Peters the other day, the chief executive of the NZRL, and we're not going to get a test in this country. Mm. It will be in Australia. And then, of course, there's the Rugby League World Cup at the end of the year. So, Dallas Johnson, the former Melbourne Storm oh, player. Loved him. Such a hard worker. Um, would make 50 tackles a game, but amazing that he's put him in as a hitter. Yeah, well, I, if He yeah. was tireless, Dallas Johnson. He was, uh, what would you, well, for, how would we describe? Classic what, origin player, yeah. lock forward, not big at all. Not flashy, just did the job, got around it, did the, uh, Greg Eastwood. At number yes. nine. Oh, yeah. Who ate yes. all the pies? <laughs> <laughs> Who ate all the pies? Started as a well, winger. Well, yeah, he got that big. name. I asked him about that once, and I, well, he didn't ask him. There was a test in Wellington, and we were staying in the same hotel as the Kiwis, and I'm walking out to go for a drink at night. He's walking back from the BP service station with a meat pie. <laughs> <laughs> On brand. <laughs> On brand. And finally, this one I just couldn't I couldn't figure out. I looked it up and then it hit me straight in the eye. He should be a lot higher than number 10. Menzi Yeti, the Papua New Guinean player who played for the Sheffield Eagles and it was called the Jukebox. Do you remember the Jukebox? You don't remember the Jukebox? No. My what goodness. What a nickname. If, he, if you wanted your innards removed <laughs> or you wanted something <laughs> displaced, you know, like a bowel or something like that, uh, Menzi Yeti would, could hit harder than I think any of those guys combined. Wow. It, it was like throwing a cement truck. And as you know, being Papua New Guinea, Guinean wasn't that big. But he could hit like a cement truck. It's not a bad list. Have it's, we missed anyone? It's pretty good. Well, I just had a wee list like Trevor. Trevor Gilmeister, someone and sent cement, into us as yeah. well. Like, got to have. I thought George Talfour yes. deserved to be in there yes. very much, and that Steve Matai. Manly, funny frame. that. David Kidwell for just even that one tackle on Willie Mason. <laughs> and then just being over him and sending it. Tony Carroll, I thought, had to be on there as Tony well. Tony Carroll, though, gee, you're really winding the back. What about Ruben Wickey? Ruben Wickey could, was never afraid to put a hit on. Absolutely, Ruben Wickey. And Ian Roberts as well, just for another that, That's a bit of an old school one. We might as well throw Mark Carroll on there as well. But the problem yeah. was with Mark Carroll, everything was too high. It's half past one here on SCNZ Summer Days. Yeah. 
132 on SENZ Summer Days. A little bit of chill music to take us through the last hour of this Summer Days because remember, tomorrow the ashes, so that's going to take up a lot of your day live here on SENZ and SEN across the ditch. And you can listen to the app, which is a great way to listen to the ashes. Just take it anywhere, even stream it to your car phone or whatever, through your, your car, through your phone or whatever. So there's a lot to look forward to with the ashes coming your way. All righty, I think it's one of those times, or it is that time, where we figure out what happens next, Johnny. We certainly do, Stephen. It was my first go yesterday, and I didn't even know there was 50 bucks from the TAB up for grabs. Oh, oh, so, so what, are going to make it next. harder? Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. So um, Yeah. Wow, you're really solid on this one, John. Well, I've done it already. That's the thing. It's like, can I change it now to make it harder? No, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. Because I do like making people work for their 50 bucks from the TAB. No, no, so, so, so they should work. Because yeah. I tell you what, there's some smart people out there. And by the way, just another text in from Vaughan about the hitters uh, that we had from Isaac Luke. There you go, Stephen. To- oh, Thomas Lulawai and PJ Marsh, actually. I actually, there's a I just instantly brought back a hit of PJ Marsh on someone I remember at Mount Smart Stadium and Thomas Lulawai. Again, both those hitters um, were low hitters. They were low tacklers. Oh, hello, it's popped. And Matt's just come and said, uh, "Where's Ben Matalina? Well, he's not playing for the Tigers anymore. He's called it quits. Like SBW, whose technique wouldn't be allowed in today's game, but he was an absolute beast for the Warriors and Tigers and Kiwis. That's Matt and Blenheim. Thanks for calling, mate. Or should I say texting? But you know, you're more than welcome to call us on 0800 1508811. 0800-150811. If you want to talk about your biggest hitters in the NRL uh, before two o'clock this afternoon, so. PJ Marsh, there's a name. Loved PJ Marsh. What Loved a player. PJ Marsh. And as uh, Brian, the panelist, pointed out to me, the last time the Warriors had a genuine number nine at the top of his game was yeah. PJ Marsh. So the doctor doesn't come into that? The doctor? Deeth, Deeth, Jason Deeth. Jason Deeth, not a genuine nine? Uh, I thought he played better when he was locking. Wow. He was good at, he was good in the in the nine, but he was good in thir- better in thirteen, I think. It is it is still a huge uh point of bone of contention with me that they don't necessarily, the Warriors, have a genuine nine. Yeah. A genuine nine. You know, as we know in the modern game, it is such an important position now to have that nine to work the rest of the spine around you and so why didn't they make a massive play for Brandon oh, Smith? Oh look, this you you now now you're poking the bear with I me. I am because it, it I get the feeling, and I don't have any clarification of this, I get the feeling I don't think they thought he would be a great fit for the culture. Okay. That's all I can think outside of what I've heard, right? Okay, all right. You know, the Waiheke boy might have been just a bit too wild for them, but you know what? I wouldn't have cared. Nah. I wouldn't have cared. If he could could play consistently every week and do what he does – that could have been a huge difference to the team going forward. So, and those we trust, we have to trust what they're thinking. So, not completely convinced. Um, I'm a little excited. I just read another article today about Ash Taylor, you know, weight off his shoulders coming from that million-dollar contract at the Titans now on a basically training trial. He's probably got plenty in the bank anyway, so it doesn't matter, uh, with the Warriors. And I'm hearing from the coaching staff, he's in good nick. So, do not be surprised that he is a starter come the opening game of the season, Ash Taylor with yeah. Sean Johnson. I'm just, Man, if they can pick him up, him up on that deal and he can return to his beast. Well, it's only, look, I think it's made its own, yeah, it'll be a bargain buy for one year. Yeah. So he obviously wants to go to greener pastures, but 
you know, things change if you're suddenly seeing success in the team you're playing with. The only thing that will work against that is once once we're through COVID, he probably won't, come, won't want to come to New Zealand. Yeah. In fact, isn't it weird that probably 90% of that team have never been to New Zealand? <laughs> yeah. And they're, and, and, they're called, and they're called the, and their coach <laughs> and they're called the New Zealand Warriors. Yeah. So that is that is one thing I, I, I struggle with. But So hey. what, what will happen next with the Warriors? Who knows? But what happens next in this competition, <laughs> Stephen? <laughs> nice For $50, segue. if you can guess what happens next, here is part one. New Zealand have begun the game at the pace I think they'll want to play it. Walter Little, Frank Bunce takes the tackle. No sign yet of an early penalty by referee Hilditch. Bash up again, New Zealand maintaining possession. Oh, he was just ramping up, wasn't he, Keith Quinn? Oh, the mighty voice of Keith Quinn, the former voice of uh, the game in this country. Some say he still is the voice, but he's not. Nah, usurped by Grant Nisbet, but two of the best. Two of the best. Yeah. Uh, well, it's obvious in All Blacks test, but i got no idea. Do you want to uh, hear it again? No, because I wouldn't have a clue. I t- let, can I tell you a wee story, though? Can I tell you a wee story? Because yes. when I heard Bashup and Schuster and those names, Johnny, you know, Johnny Shoe, yep. it reminds me of when Sky, Sky Television first went to air. I don't know if I've told you the story. I might have. And I was there back in May 18, 1990. Uh, it's called The First Shot. And our rugby expert was going to be John Gallagher. Great. And, we, and we did, yeah, the great all-black fullback. Yeah. He was, I mean, him drifting into that back line, we're waiting for a soft hands pass from Johnny Shue, was one of the greatest things I've ever seen at Eden Park. And I only went to a couple of all-black tests, really. And it was beautiful. So we're talking, we go to the old Ellerslie Oaks pub, which is no longer, it's gone now. It's a residential dwelling, um, apartments. And I said to him, because Matthew Ridge had just gone to rugby league. And Craig Ennis, I think it might have gone as well. I'm not sure. Anyway, I so said to John and Gallagher, we're just having a quiet beer. And I said, mate, do you think you'd ever ever go to rugby league? He goes, ah, nah. They'd have, me, they'd have to offer me a pile of cash. <laughs> well, bugger me. Bugger me. The next Nick day, Minna. after he had filmed for Sky that he was going to be the face of rugby for them, the next day... Headline: John Gallagher defects to rugby league and goes to Leeds. Leeds. Now, if I was, and I'm not a journalist, but if I've been half a journalist, <laughs> I would have had a scoop. <laughs> and I still remember to the day going, "You're kidding." And he didn't need into, and he failed at Leeds. He didn't do well he, at Leeds. No, he was awful. He failed was awful. is a hard, is a harsh word. Yeah. But I got to say, when you talk about players that could drift into a back line and just seamlessly slot in there. That him and him coming off the, into Johnny Shoe backline, and this is me talking. The, this is me talking about rugby. It was a beautiful thing. I think we need to give our listeners one more chance of what happens next, right. so they can text during the ad break. Go so here, it. here's part one. New Zealand have begun the game at the pace I think they want to play it. Walter Little, Frank Bunce takes the tackle. No sign yet of an early penalty by referee Hilditch. Bashup again. New Zealand maintaining possession. So Graham Bashup has passed the ball. It's the last thing you heard there. Graham Bashup has passed the ball. Uh, double eight, double three. If you want to text in, if you think what happens next here on SENZ Summer Days, like this. <laughs> cool runnings, right? Cool runnings. Oh, absolutely. Like John Candy the late and the Candy. Jamaican bobsled team. Stephen, what is what a sporting movie. What's your what's your uh, number four? Number four, four is one of two NFL ones for me. It's a comedy that has a bit of a, a, a sad twist, uh, starring Adam Sandler. I'm sure you already know this, but I never said it out loud. I did throw that game. 
I did it. I was in a bad way with some worse people. After I did it, I felt so wish, wish I would have just let them kill me instead. <laughs> now, the warden wants to pin caretaker's murder on me if I don't throw this game. So it looks like I'm going to get to know you guys a lot better because I ain't doing that twice in a lifetime. Yep, there, uh, Adam Sandler, uh, Chris Rock, and The Longest Yard. They're a really cool movie. Okay, what's your number three, mate? Number three. A New Zealand classic, straight to TV this movie went, featuring an SENZ host. Straight to TV. I remember when it was premiered on TV One. One of our greatest sporting triumphs almost didn't happen. The All Blacks World Cup squad, you won't be one of them. People think so awful about you. You're the most competitive dude I've ever met. You have to win. The untold story. We've had a major. DC's out. Of our unlikely hero. You'll get yourself up here as quick as you can, all right? Sunday Theatre. The Ford New Zealand season. With all the players to select from, they're going to choose Stephen Donald. The Kick. Sunday, 8.30 on (laughs) 1. Sunday Theatre. Sunday Theatre, straight to DVD, straight to VHS. (laughs) Never seen it. My number three is a wrestling, it's a WWE one. It's a great story, true story too, featuring The Rock and Florence Pugh, and it's called Fighting With My Family. Zach Zodiac, mate. What's up, Zach? What an honour to meet you, mate. Oh, thanks, Zach. Yeah, Yeah, Zach, Zach, yeah. It's my sister, Soraya. We're huge fans. Thank you so much. Since we're kids. Yeah, we've been fans since you had hair. Oh, thank you. Hey, it's a choice. The damn good one, too. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, it looks yeah. good. It's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, it was cool. It's, it's a, a great movie. It really is. It is a real... You know what? Yeah. I might have to watch that one tonight. Okay, down to number two, buddy. Number two. I mean, this would probably be number one in a lot of people's lists. It's an absolute classic. It is Rocky. Rocky! Adrian! 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 We have a shit out of Oh, Stephen. It's an absolute classic, isn't it? Rocky! But you know, the, you know the encouraging thing about it? he wrote Rocky. He wrote Rocky. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, he actually he's written a few movies. I think he wrote all the Rocky movies and was uh, had a heavy hand in that. And was uh, wasn't expected to do anything, and it just went ballistic at the box office. Sure okay, did. number two for me. Well, I have to have something uh, with motorsport in it, and I thought this this movie uh, was an absolute cracker. Oh, I've just forgotten it. Uh, Nicky Lauda versus James Hunt. And it was a movie done by Ron Howard of Happy Days fame. It's terrible. Drives like a pig. Oh, you can't say that. Why not? It's a Ferrari. It's a shitbox. It understeers like crazy and the weight distribution is a disaster. It's amazing. All these facilities and you make a piece of crap like this. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, the actor that depicted him, uh, Nicky Lauda, was out. The late Nicky Lauda now was outstanding. Rush uh, was an absolute cracker of a movie and it was sad too right because James Hunt ended uh, his life uh, was shortened I think he had a heart attack he was a he was the classic days in the 70s of a hard drinking hard partying race car driver but it also depicted how poor safety was in the early days of Formula oh, One, yeah. and there was a couple of scenes that you go, "Oh, okay," and it was actually the dare I say when you talk about safety in the in that world, it wasn't until the late Ed, 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 Ed Senna was yeah. was killed, Imola, yep. that they changed everything with safety. Yeah, everything changed from that day forth, and now that, it's yeah. now it's one of the safe safest sports going around. I mean, that Senna documentary is just incredible, oh, isn't man, it? Like we're not including documentaries here, but if you're going to watch something, I met Senna. 
What? Out of the blue at a Canterbury of New Zealand store in 1995-96 when they last had the Adelaide Grand Prix. I bumped into him. Wow. And I found a, I bought a, I found a cap, got him to sign it, and then gave it away. And he was oh, like, I, and, and, and you know what? You go, you feel like an absolute dick asking for a, an autograph, but I did. But it's Eden Cena. All right, my number one best sports movie of all time. Ah, it, it's got to be this one. Happy, the ball itself has its own energy, or life force, if you will. Its natural environment is in the home. So why don't you send him home? His bags are packed. He's got his airplane tickets. Bring him to the airport. Send him home. <laughs> send him home. I just send him home. Time to go home there, ball. Son of a bitch, Paul, why didn't you just go home? That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Shooter McGavin against Happy Gilmore, one of the greatest sporting rivalries, and for me, the greatest sports movie. What about you, Stephen? Uh, What's number one? Mine's one of those, another NFL one, but it's it's, it's delivered some of the great lines. Jamie Foxx and one Al Pacino. I'll tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's going to win that itch. And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that itch. Because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face. Now I can't make you do it. You got to look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now I think you're going to see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're going to see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're going to do the same for him. That's the team, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a team or we will die as individuals. Great choice, Stephen. Yeah, thanks, man. It was funny when we were looking at that, I actually looked up how old Al Pacino is. You know he's 81 now? Al Pacino is 81? Al Pacino is 81, one of my all-time fave actors. One that of my speech all-time goes down in history. <laughs> it, it, well, you could you could play that out at anything, any any team nowadays, yeah. and you could do that, couldn't you? So that was our top four uh, sporting movies, our Mount Rushmore, and they were pretty good. I'm going to have to, I think, go, go and look at my fighting with fighting with my family. I think it might be on Netflix. We'll we'll have to see what happens. It's one fifty three.